everybody this is it we're finally doing it welcome to slam university the wrestling history podcast co-hosted by me joe garcia and my good pal over there malcolm spinetti say hi malcolm hi yeah man we've been talking about doing this for so long i know it's we for those of you who don't know we have another podcast called firmware update where we're talking about the playstation everything on there so go check that one out as well if you like video games but we used to talk wrestling quite a big deal on it until the fans united and made us stop. <laughs> yeah, they're like, uh, please stop. Like, yeah, because, I mean, people like wrestling well enough. Most people don't like it as much as we do. And even people who do like it a lot, they, they kind of be like, all right. They're like, all right, maybe maybe don't dedicate 30 minutes to the Royal Rumble uh, on your PlayStation podcast, which is a fair critique. Which is fair. I mean, <laughs> there's like a four-star review, which honestly was probably the most fair review I've seen on our podcast <laughs> at that time. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah we, we got to talking. We wanted to do something as yeah. far as wrestling related, but we didn't do what because everybody does a review show. Absolutely right. everybody. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, there's plenty of weekly review shows where you can where you can listen to, you know, a couple of smarts, you know, Recap Raw or Pay-Per-View or whatever, whatever you like. Very angrily, by the way. Yeah, very angrily, because that's the only way to, to watch wrestling nowadays, is angrily and bitterly and begrudgingly. <laughs> um, but, you know, and those are all great. There's a lot of great podcasts, but, you know, I, I listen to Cheap Heat. I listen to the Cheap Podcast and a bunch of others, you know. Um, wrestling fan is another one that I find. Yeah, and that's all great stuff, uh, stuff that I encourage everybody to listen to if, if you know, you want to do that. But what we want to do is something entirely different. You know, we want to... Because, weirdly enough, looking at the wrestling podcast landscape, there's nothing really, like, there's no, like, real archival thing where it's, like, a history thing. You know, it's just, like, celebrating and archiving the history of this great art form that we've uh, indulged ourselves in. So many people are going to post Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. There's no archival of any kind. Well, I mean, in audio stuff, in audio form, yeah. that you can pipe into your ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is uh, how Joe and I came up with the idea of Slam U or Slam University, where each, well, not each and every week, but we will, uh, do every episode, we'll explain a certain facet, mainly uh, superstars and, you know, where they began, why they're important, why you should care, and, uh, yeah, just like all facets of wrestling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, wrestling, it's, it's, like wrestling is just—it's. I just love wrestling, Malcolm. It's not too much <laughs> more than that. Like I, I look, like you're doing research for for this episode. Uh, like even as controversial as the subject is, it's like I still get very nostalgic. You know, 
going through the highlights and whatnot because it's it's just like it's like this art form means just so much to me. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when we when you came up with this idea, I was very I was very excited because you know we I have a lot of friends that are just now getting into it, and you know it, it's I like the idea of. You know, if they, like, see a guy on TV and then they're like, who's that and why is it important? And somebody can say, yeah, just check out this episode here. They'll explain all about him and wh- and who he is. So Yeah. yeah. And uh, I I got very nostalgic for the guy we're doing today. Spoiler, it's Hulk Hogan. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was – I that's around when I started watching wrestling was uh, the Hulkamania era. And, Joe, can I ask you the question right off the bat? Sure. Were you a Hulkamaniac? You bet your sweet bippy I was a Hulkamaniac. Mm. I, I was a Hulkamaniac, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like so many other people, like, like the, you know, there's the old adage, you don't want to meet your heroes, because it always, it's all, the reality is usually worse than what the thing that you've built them up as in your head, the shrine that you've built up in your head. Uh, and that certainly proves double for Hulk Hogan as you dig into him. But as I was digging, even digging through that, it's like, man, I just love watching him march down that red yellow with the real American plane. It's like, oh, God damn it. I forget just how much of a jerk he can be. And it's like, yeah, I just like watching him leg drop fools. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for some reason, every match he ever ever did still entertains me. Like, I was watching a match between him and King Haku, for Christ's sake. <laughs> it was just the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah, that's basically what this show is going to be. Like, we're just going to dig through, you know, these superstars and, you know, down the line divas as well. Just, you know, all the all the major wrestlers that have ever been, hopefully. And uh, just kind of something that not only wrestling marks like me and Malcolm and potentially the people listening to this uh, would enjoy, but, you know, people that kind of like kind of maybe fell off the wrestling wagon. They're like, hey, I, I still enjoy wrestling. Uh, like, let's see what, like, let's learn about Hulk Hogan or Macho Man or whoever. Uh, and maybe we can uh, bring them back into the wrestling fold as well. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who do know wrestling, uh, trust me, those stuff for you in here is we're extremely in-depth in the history and everything about this, so you may learn something you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, and uh, because it is super in-depth stuff that we that we definitely want to do, um, this show is not going to be weekly <laughs> because there's a ton of research that goes into into the episodes that we want to do. Uh, oh, God, so... Hulk Hogan alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're we're aiming to do this every other week, um, mm. like every other Friday, I suppose. Um, and yeah, we'll just go from there. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, and uh, by the way, if there's we're starting with Hogan, we do have a plan on how to go. But hey, if there's anything that you want us to talk about, whether it be a certain superstar, whether it be you know maybe even how matches work in general, we'll do a show for that. Uh, what you know the history of WWE. Let's. Let, Anything you want us to go over here at Slam U, we're here to educate. So sound off in the comments below. You can hit us up on Twitter as at well as yeah, as well the yeah, freaking ads at Slam University. Just let us uh, just speak your voice, and we'll uh, you know we'll follow what you guys want. Yep. And by the time this ep- this first episode is up, uh, we'll, you'll also be able to check out SlamUni.com. That'll take you over to our podcast landing page, uh, where we'll have all the episodes and descriptions. Uh, where you can comment there as well. It's going to be super easy. Beauty. Um, and because this is our first episode, we don't have any iTunes things set up just yet, but by the time uh, we're ready with our second episode, I'm pretty sure we'll have a feed on there. So feel free to search that uh, in the near future uh, and you know subscribe there. Um, and we'll have it all set up so you can subscribe on Stitcher or Pocket Cast as well. So. Beautiful. Yep. Uh, all right. So, Joe, I guess we should get started. 
All right, Malcolm, tell us all about Mr. Terry Bolea. Yes, Terry Eugene Bolea was actually born. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't know the Eugene part. I've already learned something. Indeed, there you go. <laughs> was born in Augusta, Georgia on August 11th, 1953, which makes his current age right now 61. Uh, he was pretty active. He was a little league pitcher, and according to sources, he was so good that the New York Yankees and the Cincinnati Reds uh, were looking at him at one point to play baseball. Um, so there you go. Yeah. He, he was a very he was very big in playing guitar, especially fretless bass, which he played for several years, even forming a band called. And Joe, here's a little quiz for you. What was his band called? Ah, man, I don't remember. <laughs> it's called Ruckus. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Not, not to be confused with the old man from uh, from the Boondocks, but yes, it was called Ruckus. <laughs> Uncle Ruckus. Indeed. <laughs> There was actually, uh, in the little lesser known fact, there's actually a pretty famous story about Hogan auditioning for Metallica when they lost their bass guitarist <laughs> oh, forever ago. Uh, while he didn't get a callback, I forget the name of the guy, but he looks like Roman Reigns that they oh, had yeah. hiring. <laughs> Wait, no, I, the, this is recent. I thought it was some the way I keep hearing it. He did this like when the band first formed or something oh yeah yeah this was old but it's just funny in hindsight because you know it looks just like the guy looks just like roman reigns right well now. no because i mean no that guy joined pretty recently oh okay okay yeah like the first time they replaced their bassist was like in 85 when their first bassist died ah, okay. uh but this is a metallica history podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right my bad i i don't know much about metallica apparently i do <laughs> so and you can see, uh, by the way, you can see Hogan's uh, whole history with guitar playing is actually a big part of Hogan, especially in the beginning. As you can see, there are several spots with him playing guitar. Most notably, he's actually playing bass guitar in that song, Stand Back, that Vince would perform. Or that Vince performed that they like to tease him with yeah. by showing it on TV here <laughs> every now and again. Yeah. But there's a part where they pause and it starts to like focus on this one guitar player, and they always cut it off right there because they don't want to show him. But that's Hogan playing the guitar. <laughs> he also went to study at Hillsborough College and the University of South Florida for business, which, when you find out uh, find out about a lot of the stuff he did in his career, sort of makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's one thing that Hulk Hogan cares about, it's it's making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. He was only two credits shy of a degree when he dropped out, believing his calling was either in professional wrestling or music, which he <laughs> or slapping up... bass. <laughs> so you know, you know, one out of two that ain't bad. <laughs> anyway, let's He's go. Kanye the... West of his day, basically. Indeed. All right, so let's uh, head into uh, what you guys wanted to hear: him entering the pro wrestling business. Yeah. Starting, he started watching wrestling at around age 16, thanks to promos from Dusty Rhodes, if you will. Later, he'd fall in <laughs> love with the work of one legendary superstar, Billy Graham, who inspired a lot of the famous Hoganisms that go on right now, especially the whole brother that goes on in his talk. <laughs> not, not to mention that mustache. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, it, it's pretty... It's. Very eerie. It's almost to the extent of, you know, how you'd watch a Benoit match and then you'd watch a Dynamite Kid match and they'd overlap each other perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Uh, he would regularly watch shows at the Tampa Sportatorium. And uh, in Hogan's spare time, 
He'd also worked out at a gym called Hector's at Tampa Bay, becoming big enough to do some big lifting, and hence starting the whole 24-inch pythons. <laughs> and here's where everything actually starts to work together, and it's actually really impressive. While doing shows with Ruckus, many wrestlers would go to the bars where they would do shows. And it was here he met uh, a two brothers named Jack and Gerald Briscoe. Impressed with Hogan's size, they asked a hero Matsuda to train him. And then at this point, Hogan, uh, deciding that this was his calling, you know, quit ruckus and went to train. Now, uh, here's uh, here's, an, here's the story that uh, I'm sure you know pretty well, Joe. Right <laughs> I do enjoy this part. Uh, so it was a different time back then. So <laughs> Hogan went to train. And he was very hesitant, as Hiro was very vicious in his matches, he actually yeah. does say. Legendary Japanese wrestler. Mm-hmm. This uh, hesitation turned out to be the correct response. As, <laughs> as uh, essentially, uh, Hiro asked him, so you want to be a wrestler? And he said, okay, so he invited Hogan in the ring. At that point, ain't uh, as if, if I'm recalling how uh, Hogan w- went through it, he uh, reached around him, took him down, Wrapped his legs around him, in which Hero laughed, grabbed his leg, and promptly broke it. Yep. Uh, to put that in perspective, imagine you go up to, let's say, Pedro Martinez and <laughs> ask him to teach you to pitch. And he says, sure, you want to be a pitcher, huh? Then he promptly throws a ball at 200 miles an hour at your head and puts you in a concussion. <laughs> um, as for why, well, there's a, a lot of there's a lot of different uh theories as to why one thing um you know it was a different time back then it was actually really really difficult to get into the business around this time because the whole thing of kayfabe which joe what's kayfabe well kayfabe is basically just the uh the show basically that that wrestlers put on like kayfabe like like to bring the recent stuff in like uh Dolph Ziggler was fired from wwe a couple weeks ago that is kayfabe he's not actually fired he's still employed at wwe it is just Part of the act, basically. Indeed, and back then, kayfabe was a tremendous part of the whole th- of the whole thing. Like, if two guys hated each other on TV, they were forbidden from interacting in a friendly manner <laughs> yeah. with each other outside of the program. Or if, let's say, Dusty Rhodes broke his arm in an attack, he would actually walk around town with a cast on his arm, even though his arm was perfectly fine. And so. They wanted to, part of maintaining this kayfabe. For those of you wondering what the point is, is you know, they wanted only the toughest of the tough to get in, and they and unfortunately on this day Hogan was an example. Uh, it makes you wonder how many possible Hulk Hogans we could have had if things were as they are now, where <laughs> it's very open to get in. Yeah. Now another theory, you see, Hiro Matsuda was a friend of Eddie Graham who has a son called Mike. Mike and Hogan actually went to the same high school and apparently didn't get along. So (laughs) the rumor has it that the leg break was actually a hit done by Eddie to get revenge for his son, which (laughs) wrestlers are that petty, unfortunately. (laughs) So I kind of can see that one Mm -hmm. being true. Uh, So anyway, Hogan was actually out for a whole year thanks to the leg injury. At the time of the accident, he could only crawl to his van and uh, realized he couldn't press on the gas pedal to get out. So he had to actually call his dad to pick him up. 
his dad did not go into the building to, <laughs> to complain to Hero, and probably for a good reason. So Hogan took a year to recover, swearing that he'd never let anyone hurt him again. And I really want not only uh, not only you, Joe, but everyone out there, to just keep a, an earful for Hogan's beginning here, because yeah, Hogan ends up being being a jerk, but. I can't help but wonder if his intro to the business was less than this. <laughs> if it would, if he'd be a different person, because mm, probably yeah. not. Uh, well, 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 let's see. Let's just continue here. So he would return to Hero School a year later, to the shock of everyone, especially Hero. He went back to school, you know, swearing he'd never be hurt again, and was promptly stretched every single day that he went there. <laughs> Now, there were other high-quality high students there, such guys as Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful, yep. and Ace or Cowboy Bob Orton. <laughs> they finished the training in a fraction of the time and were never stretched like Hogan was, which he never understood. So this continued for quite some time until finally one day the Briscoes came to the training camp, threw Hogan some boots, and told him his first match was next week. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. uh, so keep in mind at this point, all Hogan was, it was basically MMM, MMA training where they were just like wrestling and uh, stretching him like the entire time. And uh, in the beginning, sadly going back with kayfabe, Hogan would find out that they didn't teach him anything as far as, as far as professional wrestling such as bumping or working a match or psychology. Psycho psychology, yeah. Hogan would later admit on the Talk is Jericho podcast that he realized all this before his first match. <laughs> so imagine that. Like, you have all this training to do a job, and then just before your first shift, you realize that everything you just spent had nothing to do with the job. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he, at this point, he worked for Eddie Graham, and for a while, which went better than expected. And the first match of Hogan's career, and uh, I'll, I'll go up with you, Joe, and maybe you can tell me if this is right. His first match should have been against Brian Blair Yep. on August 10th, 1977. So that's the start of it, folks. Yep, over at Championship Wrestling from Florida. Mm -hmm. Which is like the most goofily named fed I've ever heard of. Oh, they get worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Like, normally it's Florida Championship Wrestling or something, but Championship Wrestling from Florida. Like, okay. Uh, Brian Blair would later show up in WWF, by the way, as part of the Killer Bees tag team <laughs> as uh, B. Brian Blair. <laughs> yep. All right, but enough about him. Hogan's career, Hogan began his career with the mass gimmick of the Super Destroyer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then later as Sterling Golden in <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, let this be a lesson to you. He's not a, he didn't start as Hulk Hogan. Sometimes you have to have an awful gimmick at first. <laughs> <laughs> or several. Mm. Although Super Disturbed sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Well, this is like, this is back in the 70s, the, go the golden age of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> like Super Disturbed sounds like a really awesome Japanese wrestler. Oh, yeah, Triple H with Terror Rising would have cleaned up back then, man. <laughs> During this time, wrestling was still no fun for Hogan. He was still training with Hero, who was treating him like hot garbage, and not to mention the fact that the veterans would take advantage of Terry every chance he got. Like, there's another story from podcasts 
Talk is Jericho, where he talked about having to drive all the veterans in his car, who, after driving him, like, several states, would they would give him collectively 20 bucks and have has destroyed his car, drinking and what have you, uh, and the whole time throwing bottles as his, at his head as he was driving. So, once again, going with the, you know, they treated him like garbage, thus forming the Hulk Hogan <laughs> and uh, don't worry folks it's coming <laughs> so so eventually Hogan couldn't take it anymore and he actually took a short hiatus from wrestling and, and during this break Hogan did actually a few things to help his financial situation and this is where that whole two credit shy of a business degree kicks in number one managing a private club called the Anchor Club in Cocoa Beach Florida uh, where he did such a good job that the owner of the club, Whitey Bridges, got along hung so well that they opened the gym together called the Whitey's and Terry's Olympic Gym. I'm sure they stayed up all night creating that. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Eventually, a friend of Hogan's would come down from Cocoa Beach to help manage the gym. This friend, Joe, developed quite a muscular physique. So much so that Hogan started getting aspirations to return to the ring to tag with his friend. Oh, now, Joe, do you have a guess who this friend is? Why, I believe I do. Would it be uh, Mr. Barber, the Brutus Beefcake? Barber, Brutus the Barber? That's an amazing butchering of his name. <laughs> Ed Leslie, who, if there was ever a shining example of the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It is Ed Leslie, <laughs> who, as you're going to see, made quite the career being a friend of Hogan. But, you know, to his credit, if it wasn't for Ed Leslie coming down to manage this uh, cl- manage this gym, we may never have gotten Hulkamania. Think about that for a second. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, by, ni- by 1977, uh, by the end of that, he pretty much left both, you know, Hiro Matsuda and CWF just because, you know, he just couldn't take being treated like crap anymore. So that's when he went down to Florida to, you know, manage this club and... And, and the gym or whatever. In the process of following Hogan around, he would rack up an impressive 18 to 23 different gimmicks, including the most famous one, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, the Butcher, the Booty Man, and <laughs> one of my personal favorites, the Disciple. <laughs> so this guy's going to be in the background of Hogan's story for quite some time. Yeah, so. using most of those names, by the way. <laughs> Uh, and the return. Now, itching for a return, Hulk calls a favor from superstar Billy Graham in 78, hoping to get a gig outside of Florida. Anywhere but Florida. <laughs> <laughs> get me the hell out of Florida, please. <laughs> and Billy came through. Got Hogan and Leslie a job at Louis Tillett's, Tullett's, Tullett's Alabama Territory. Yeah. The duo would become the Boulder Brothers, Terry and Ed. And uh, going back to kayfabe, uh, Hulk and uh, Le- and Ed hung out with each other so much that uh, the rumors started become- going around that they actually were brothers. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> After wrestling a show in Continental in the Continental Wrestling Association, Jerry Jarrett, that's J E double R Y, offered them a job in his promotion. For $800 a week, far beating till it's $175. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, the no-brainer. They accepted <laughs> his offer and went to the territory. It was around this time that 
Hogan did a talk show that would forever change his life. At this time, Terry did a show where he appeared alongside Lou Ferrigno, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, was the man who played the Incredible Hulk in the TV series of the same name. Yep. No disrespect to to Lou, who was in fine shape. Yeah. But but Hulk dwarfed him. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, he not only had pretty much the same physique, he was also... Much taller. Mm-hmm. And uh, the host made the comment that Terry was bigger than the Hulk. <laughs> yep. And uh, the rest is history. Uh, he decided to take the name. Terry began performing as Terry the Hulk Boulder. And uh, he would, though he would still perform in Stirl- as Sterling Golden here and there for whatever the yeah. reason. <laughs> and boy, let me tell you, Marvel Comics was displeased with uh, him publicly calling himself the Hulk. Uh, oh, pretty much throughout his whole career. Not like from the very beginning, you're like, uh, that's kind of our thing. And he just kind of went, nah. <laughs> and just kind of ran with it forever. Now, correct me if I'm mistaken, did they have to pay Marvel like some sort of royalties? Because if I recall, like at the end of a pay-per-view, you'd see like several copyrights at the bottom of the screen. I think one of them was Marvel. <laughs> um, there's some stuff towards the end uh, of, his, of his second WWE run. Or rather, when he came back after WCW, where there's some, where there was some actionable stuff finally. But we'll get to that later, I guess. Yeah. So, back at the Indies, Hogan, back with CWA, CWA, had his first title shot. Yeah. NWA World Champion Harley Race. That's a big one. Indeed, yeah. Harley, tough as nails, dude. Uh, Hogan, still a rookie, did not. Did not get the victory, but the very fact that he was able to get a title shot so quickly is actually pretty big. Actually, Hulk did win, but it was by DQ. Oh. Okay. Um, so he, he did win, but of course, rules being what they are, you cannot win a title by DQ or count-up. Mm-hmm. The race would, of course, retain. There you go. And this was a common tactic by heels. You know, to, it, A, it would help build up the, the face that they were facing, while keeping the title securely on them so they could continue to draw money. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, um, I was looking up on that website that I put in that Hulk history that, like, Hulk Hogan history is, like, this crazy website that where somebody, like, chronicled pretty much every single match uh, in Hogan's career. Uh, this match, uh, the DQ came after after a referee determined that he threw a race over the top rope at one point, uh, and that's, that's when that kind of rule actually mattered. Like, oh, no, you can't throw anybody over the top rope. Uh, and, you know, it's funny to think about now because people fly over the top rope all the time. Uh, oh, yeah. I just think like, it's funny to think about. Yeah, it's like I remember in WCW, like, even at the time that they had cruiserweight, there was, like, a no top rope rule for <laughs> a good chunk of the beginning until finally, like, okay, it makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, continuing on, while he wasn't able to win the NWA world title, he was able to secure a singles title as on December 1st, 1979. He won his first title with the NWA Southeastern Heavyweight Championship Northern Division <laughs> title. Most Recon- convoluted title name I've ever seen. Oh, it still goes on. Recognized in Alabama, <laughs> Tennessee. <laughs> when he defended, defeated the legendary Bob Roop. Yeah. And which gimmick was using at the time? Uh, I, don't, you, I actually don't know. What, 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 what gimmick was he using? He was Sterling Golden. 
NWA Southeastern Heavyweight Champion, <laughs> Northern Division, Sterling Gold. That's amazing. <laughs> Sadly, Hogan would lose this title a month later to, do you know, Joe? That I don't know. Bullet Bob Armstrong. I've never heard of this man. Oh, you must know of his family, the Armstrong family. Oh, wait, you said, oh, you didn't know? Oh, God. <laughs> man, Your ass man. better call somebody, Joe. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I, <laughs> that's a surprisingly topical joke uh, that I saw on, on Twitter about a year, like at WrestleMania, uh, when when <laughs> when the, the New Age Outlaws were, were wrestling again. Uh, someone said that uh, <laughs> that Road Dog makes Hulk Hogan look like Dean Malenko. And it, was the, <laughs> and, it was, and it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. Oh, man. Balea would continue wrestling from September through December seven of 79 as Sterling Golden. And now we come to it, folks. His WWF debut, kind of. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> technically it's his WWWF debut. Indeed, World Wide Wrestling Federation was the name. And yes, it was owned by Vince Mc... Vincent McMahon Sr. Yeah. <laughs> Vincent J. J. McMahon. McMahon. What, Vin- do you know what the J stands for out of curiosity? Genity. I don't know. <laughs> Hogan got his start in the WWWF. That's way too long. <laughs> F. Thanks to former NWA world champion Terry Funk introducing him to the WWF head, Vincent J. McMahon, impressed by his charisma and physical stature. McMahon, a fan of international wrestlers, gave Hulk the last name Hogan to make him an Irish wrestler. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty funny watching, like, Seamus now. Compared, <laughs> yeah. Vince also wanted to dye Hogan's hair red. <laughs> yeah. But Hogan declined, stating his hair was already beginning to fall out. Not an unfair complaint by Hogan. No. Citing, I'll just be a blonde Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure. During this run, Hogan was a heel and had classy Freddie Blassie as his manager. Yep. Hogan's first WWF match was on November 17th, 1979, defeating the legendary Harry Valdez. <laughs> yes, sir. Expect me to put legendary in front of a lot of these people. <laughs> <laughs> whether even whether anybody's heard of them or not. And... His first, uh, and also his first Madison Square Garden appearance was against uh, some guy named Ted D.B. Dio. <laughs> Mr. The Million Dollar Man, of course. Oh, Ted, Ted DiBiase. That, oh, it's that DiBiase. Yeah. Oh. The very same. Oh. The match, I believe that match occurred on December 17th, 1979. Very good. He wrestled, he also wrestled a few match. well, I wrote a few matches, but apparently it was more than that, against Bob Backlund for the WWF, cha- WWF Championship, mm-hmm. yep. which, uh, of course, you know, Hogan did not win. No. <laughs> Hulk- Hulkamania was not going to start like this. <laughs> but, you know, once again, he was just, he just comes in there and he's getting world title matches, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I, I'm, I'm on this log of, of Hogan matches that I, that I pointed out. Uh, 
like I saw, you know, I saw that he got his first title shot. I was like, okay. And then I saw, and I kept seeing Bob Backlund's name repeated. Like I did a, a name search or whatever on that page. And Bob Backlund comes up like 25 times. I was like, holy cow. Like, <laughs> and I did a tally of exactly how, how the, how the, the decisions were, were divvied up basically. Uh, Backlund would win via countout five times. Backlund won via DQ twice. Hogan won via countout nine times. They wrestled over 20 times together. Not one clean finish <laughs> in any of the matches. Welcome to the, to the, well, we're getting close to the 80s period, but this was pretty synonymous. You'd see a lot of people brawl to the back to protect both of each other. Mm -hmm. and, and going back with kayfabe, there was like, Nowadays, if Vince goes up to you and says, all right, you're jobbing, he's, you're going to get pinned, and it's going to be clean, you say, yes, sir. But back <laughs> then, it was not uncommon for people to have real problems with losing clean Yeah. to a, to a point where they would fight, fight it tooth and nail. So, yeah, that's a – and we'll see that a little bit here with Backlund and Hogan later. But, yeah, it, especially – a guy who was very, very big with this is Piper, as it took him, like, what, 30 years to get pinned? I mean, <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, believe it or not, that match with Brett at WrestleMania 8, that was the first time he was ever pinned. Holy cow. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, but, or at least on TV, I should say. But, like, elsewhere, yeah. Now, Hogan had his first major feud with another man who would be a tremendous part of his career, especially at the beginning, and that was one Andre the Giant. Yeah. The feud had uh, multiple matches, with a central one being fought at the famous Showdown at Shea Stadium. Yep. And uh, this, at least in recounting this event, this is where Hogan starts to do the very famous Hulk Hogan spin-doctoring. <laughs> do tell Hulk Hogan's spin doctoring is he'll tell you a story except uh, he'll change it in such a way where he becomes like the most important part of the story thus increasing his legend so to speak yeah and every time he tells it it gets a slightly more outlandish than the last time yeah, for example when the, he talks about the showdown at Shea Stadium uh, he will say that he and Andre sold Shea Stadium out He'll leave out the fact that Larry Zbysko was facing Bruno San Martino in the main <laughs> yeah. event. A main event which had sold out everywhere leading up to that show. Yeah. While, while Hogan and Andre had wrestled in White Plains, New York, and only managed to draw 1,200 in a venue that seated 3,500. <laughs> yeah. So there's some facts for you right there. <laughs> yeah, and that's going to be prevalent, I think, throughout this entire podcast series where, you know... You know, there's so much kayfabe involved in the business. It's a business basically of lying <laughs> to the public. So there's going to be a lot of embellishment that we have to do our best to wade through and try to get straight. Uh, but, yeah, that's 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 just wrestling for you. Mm -hmm. Now, it's around this time that Hogan was also, and the, the beginning, expect a lot of this, because back then you, you didn't have contracts. It wouldn't be until Hogan arrived to WCW that, people started doing active contracts with wrestlers and what have you. But so it was not uncommon for a guy to wrestle multiple territories to try to rack up the most money. So while Hogan was doing the www.f.com, he was also <laughs> wrestling at new Japan pro wrestling, which apparently if you're trying to make money, Japan is the way to go, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. He has, and he has quite a bit of history up there. So yeah, he does. I mean, man, 
I'll, I'll let you get into it, and I'll see what I can interject. But, man, that is some interesting stuff to look up. Now, the one thing I want to point out is Hogan was a very different wrestler in Japan. Like, yes. Yeah, here he's very brawly, not unlike John Cena. In a, you know, you throw punches, body slams, a very brawltastic wrestler, I wrote down here. But in Japan, <laughs> he was actually fairly technical. He would exchange holds. He would do, like, grapples. and Inziguris. Inziguris. <laughs> Cross arm breakers. Oh, God, yeah. It's close to seeing, like, a... If it was... Like, it was like Bret Hart took over Hulk Hogan's body. It was quite <laughs> weird. It, it, he didn't even use the leg drop as his primary finisher in Japan. No. Uh, his uh, finisher was uh, called the Axe Bomber, which is uh, pretty interesting because it's how I do clotheslines in the wrestling game. But essentially, he whips a guy into the rope, then runs on the opposite side to get momentum for himself and just lariats the guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, would get the pin that way. Um Somewhat like uh, his uh, his finisher as Rip in uh, No Holds Barred, except yeah. it used an axe handle. But, yeah, it very, very interesting. He also wore black trunks, at least at the beginning, too, which is right. also very weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched a few of these matches just to kind of see. Uh, and, like, while he's – like, he didn't wrestle up there often enough where he'd be, like, actually Bret Hart-esque uh, when he did these things. It was still impressive enough to see. It's like, yeah, this – if he – managed to practice this stuff enough here in the States, uh, he might have been a very different wrestler, you know, style-wise, which kind of, I kind of regret not seeing more often. Mm. And uh, Hogan, now this is before Rocky Three, which we're about to get into. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he got over purely by his size. And, you know, it's very easy to, like, look at Hogan today and not be too impressed with his size. But he is a gigantic man, especially in Japan. Yeah, like, here's this giant blonde American. <laughs> okay, yeah. Who towers by everybody by, like, at least a foot. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty incredible. And he would take him and uh, that he got, like, the crowd right behind him, even though he's a gaijin, mm-hmm. which means foreigner. Uh, they would chant Ichiban, and which means number one, whenever he would come to the ring. Uh, he actually made a good name for himself by teaming up with another legendary foreigner, Stan Hansen. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, essentially, imagine your worst nightmare of a redneck, and that's Stan Hansen's gimmick. Right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, just by being in that tag team with him, he got over really quick. Now, as a... Uh, you may have guessed this was the beginning. This was at the same time, like I said, of his WWF career. I'm going to get really happy when we drop that W, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning of his uh, run there, so thus beginning the Hogan schedule, where he would work some date. He he talked about this. He would work some dates with uh, with WWF, and as soon as they finished, if he had whether he had one day or he had two days or three days, he would immediately call Japan and ask them if they want him over there. They'd say yes. They'd fly him up there. He would work over there, get done, fly back, go back to WWF, and he was just, like, zigzagging, making money at this time. Yeah, I'm not sure how the jet lag didn't murder him uh, during this time, because, man. Ugh, well, he that's all he knows. This is all he knows, keep in mind, man. That's all he knows <laughs> is the schedule. I mean, if you look at that, that log again, that, that match log, um, like, you'll see a lot of the dates between matches are, like, one or two days apart between somewhere in the United States and Japan. It's like, man, <laughs> like how does the human body process that? I don't know. I, I don't know. But anyway, this continued up until 
Around this time, Hogan was offered a part in Rocky, thanks to Peter Young, a man who would later become, uh, who was the brother of an agent who was looking for a professional wrestler. And as thanks, he would later become Hulk's agent later on. <laughs> Hulk was actually offered the offered the uh, con the position after a match with after his match with Andre at Shea Stadium. He initially thought the role was a prank by the wrestlers and ignored it. But <laughs> he, when he came back from a tour of Japan, he found the contract in his mailbox and immediately signed it. But once again, kayfabe was in full effect. Now, now today, a Fed would love it if a wrestler oh, was, yeah. yeah, was asked to do a major part in a movie like this. They can't do him enough, apparently. Mm-hmm. But Vince, or at least this Vince, was very old school, thinking that Hogan being a part of the film would expose the business and ruin kayfabe. <laughs> you, <laughs> you'd think it'd be more about him wor- being worried that his talent would be hurt, but you know, maybe not. <laughs> He forbade Hogan from doing the film and promised that his career in the WWF would be over. <laughs> and he, he and did, it was. It was. He never worked for that company again. <laughs> Thinking about his future, Hogan had to decide whether to do this or the film. Hogan, you know, thinking about the options, and we'll go on. We'll talk about more about how this was actually a good move. Did the film and thought his career in New York was over. Now, the fight... The scene with Rocky where, you know, Hogan played a character called Thunderlips. <laughs> I, I still never understood Thunderlips as a name. It's like, what kind of name is Thunderlips? I, I, I don't know. I don't, you know but it's a different time. Well, it's a different time. I, I guess I'm guessing he, they're referring to kissing because, you know, the gimmick was like, what was it? The ultimate male was his gimmick. I don't know. The idea is the ultimate meatball. Oh god! Like I think it was like a charity match in in Rocky Three or something. Yeah, it was a char- It was an exhibition match, which I guess had like a five minute time limit. So. <laughs> Great match, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like and once again, if you want an idea how really huge Hogan is, just see him looking, you know, going nose to nose with Sylvester Stallone. Although to be fair, Sylvester Stallone is as short as he as Hulk Hogan is tall. Mm. Stallone is like five foot eight. Fair enough. <laughs> He's yeah. not a tall man at all. Now, the fight scene, how long would you say it was in the movie, Joe? Like what, ten, fifteen minutes? No, no. It's like the whole scene is like seven minutes. I looked it up on YouTube. Uh like the actual fighting is about three or four minutes. Yeah. But it's a highly entertaining three or four minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do have a <laughs> spectacular job. Now, guess how many days it took to film those seven minutes? I don't know, Malcolm. It took ten days to film. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I was trying to look up the filming history, like the timeline. When Do you know when the filming started? Uh, I think it was like 81, 82, if I'm recalling correctly. Oh, uh, okay. I thought maybe you had like a more specific date, though. Because yeah. I was trying to see where exactly, because like the movie came out in like eighty two, and he didn't stop yeah. wrestling for WWF until like eighty three. Uh, so I was trying to see exactly how that lined up. Yeah, uh, yeah. All I know is the movie release. I don't know about when he actually did the because uh, he could have done this uh, like at any time between right. eighty one and yeah. But anyway, and according to Hogan, which I will be saying quite a bit, <laughs> he mapped it out. <laughs> He mapped the whole fight scene out. As Stallone said, we need, to, like, ten big moves or something like that. And Hogan started, like, you mean, like, go from wrist lock to, like, no, no, no. I mean, 
mean, you punch me. That's a big move. You do. I hit you. That's a big move. And they're like, okay, so we'll do this, 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 this. And uh, Stallone was fine with it. Now, Stallone had a tendency to put a lot of realism into his movies. Like, for instance, in Rocky IV, where you see Dolph Lundgren punch, uh, punching Stallone, a few of those punches are legit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you, like, you hear, you'll see Stallone talk about working with Hogan for Rocky III. He says he beat the crap out of him. He's like, he's like when do I get through in the favor? <laughs> it's like... Oh, yeah, and, like, uh, for example, and this is also in Hogan's book, there's a part where Hogan delivers a running body slam, for lack of a better term, because it does, it looks nowhere near Davy Boy's body slam, uh, on Stallone, and it legit broke several ribs, and uh, <laughs> Stallone, you know, just spat up some blood a little bit and said, all right, we'll take this, uh, we'll take this uh, tomorrow, and he's like, all right, and then promptly went to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when uh, he went, when he was uh, offered the part initially, initially it was for ten thousand. But once again, according to Hogan in his book, he talked them up to fourteen thousand, which I can I can believe. Yeah, believable enough. Yeah. And uh, filming Rocky WWF notwithstanding, turned out to be the best one of the best moves Hogan's ev- Hogan ever made. Keep in mind, back then wrestlers didn't do this, so it made the Hogan brand stand out above any other wrestler in the world. FWWWF territories were now offering top dollar to have the ro- the wrestler from Rocky Three on the card, and uh, on top of this, Hogan we would find out was one of the f- was the first wrestler to start doing his own merchandise. Yep. As he he would sell T-shirts uh, at the venue he was performing at, as well he was one of the first guys to come out to theme music mm-hmm. as he came out to Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, it was kind of. Uh... Kind of his like music background, kind of creeping into his wrestling thing. Indeed. Once again, it all it, it, it's very cool, like how all of his passions sort of played a huge part in him being Hulk Hogan. And let's see, going back to New Japan Pro Wrestling, Hogan would fly out to Japan any chance he got, because once again, because the money was so good. And so he had a while over there. He had a few matches with Andre the Giant where he slammed him, and I forgot to mention this in the Shea Stadium one, but he body-slammed him there, too, which I'm, which I'm going to tell you now because we're going to talk about WrestleMania III. Uh, he had a few matches and slammed him. Then on June 2nd, 1983, Hogan actually made some legit history in yeah. Japan Pro Wrestling as he won the first ever IWGP Grand Prix. Yeah, the International Wrestling Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Where... Uh, Forget if the title was on the line or not. I think it was just for the honor of winning the Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, I looked up the title history of that. He's not listed as a champion, but he definitely won that first tournament. And he bested such uh, legends, and I'm not, I'm not kidding these times. A lot of these are actually good names. <laughs> yeah, these are real. Killer Khan, Big John Stud, Rusher Kimura, El Kanek. Enrique Vieira, Otto Wands, oh, it's you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. I did that. <laughs> and Akira Mida. And he also drew with Antonio Inoki, very, which, to make the comparison, it's pretty much the Hulk Hogan of Japan, Antonio yeah. Inoki, and Andre the Giant. Hogan and Inoki actually tied, and they wrestled in a very controversial sudden death match. Yep. 
as uh, in the closing moments of the match, Anoki is slowly getting into the ring and Hogan bounces off the rope and delivers the axe bomber to Anoki as he's on the outside, knocking him to the ground and knocking him out. <laughs> and the referee calls the match. Now for years, the, the rumor had been like, you know, Hogan wasn't supposed to do that and actually knocked out legit knocked out Antonio Anoki. However, years later, this was revealed to all be a work, of course, but <laughs> from an old NJPW referee who said it was just a stunt to build towards the match. And it did on June 14th, 1984, <laughs> in what would only be considered a dream match now. Hogan and Anuki, Anoki had a match in which it, uh, Anoki got his revenge and won the match. So there you go. Let's see. And then we go to uh, AWA. Yeah. Very famous one. He would just be there from 81 to 83. The American Wrestling was, Association. Very good. As he was essentially, as Hogan would describe it, filling in the Crusher spot. The Crusher was a very old school wrestler who was like this big burly dude. And, you know, Hogan, he had just left and Hogan came in and Hogan himself a big burly dude. Mm -hmm. He'd fill that role pretty well. In <laughs> fact, exceeded expectations, needless to say. Uh, he got over really quick because, once again, he was like – Hogan was everything after Rocky III. I can't stress that enough. He entered a long-standing feud with the Heenan family, <laughs> whose, whose centerpiece was another legendary wrestler by the name of Nick Bockwinkle. Yep. Hogan did start as a heel there, I, I should point out, but that really lasted not too long at all. Like, Yeah, like I mean, he was a heel the entire time leading up to his even – even coming in at EWA, like he was a heel just by being associated with Freddie Blassie when he was in WWF. So like, and then, you know, doing Rocky threes, like Hogan's definitely no stranger to, to healing it up. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's, he's quite good at that. to be honest, <laughs> anyway, a, uh, Vern now, and some uh, stuff I didn't know about. Like, did you know that Vern Ga Vern Gagne was actually the one who told Hogan to Hulk up? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, I I watched that AWA documentary uh, that's on the WWE Network, uh, and yeah, like both Hogan and Vern Gagne were both like, like yeah, all the all the core parts of of what would become the Hulkamania character uh, were pretty much honed and developed over at AWA. Mm hmm taught him hulking up and he also taught him about you know working as a big man as hogan was i guess not so much like especially if you look at his new japan stuff where he's being a bloody technical wrestler <laughs> hogan quickly became the top face in the company face meaning good guy for those of you who don't know mm -hmm. fighting nick bockwinkle for the title on multiple multiple occasions uh nick was protected meaning once again, if it, if Hogan did win, it was by countout or disqualification. Thus, he remained the champion. Uh, Hulk got one last title match by winning a battle royal. Oh, by the way, before we go on to that, Vern Gagne also turned the coin Hulkamania and put it on a shirt. Yeah. He, uh, he begun selling this shirt <laughs> while Hogan was away at Japan. And when Hogan came back and started seeing this shirt for the first time, his first response was, so what's my cut? <laughs> Nothing. Exactly. It's like, you don't get one since you got into a fight at Channel 9, was uh, the quote that Hogan said. The story of which was Vern and Hulk were having an argument during promo day at Channel 9. 
and Greg asked Hulk, that hero guy charged you too much. What did he teach you? And Hulk's response was, enough to kick your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then. To which a 60-year-old Vern (laughs) Gagne decided to charge at an in-his-prime Hulk Hogan, (laughs) who grabbed him, chin-locked him to the floor. (laughs) Oh, man. I love Vern Gagne. Oh, yeah. He's a tenacious old guy for... Those of you think we're making fun of uh, Vern here, he actually killed a guy who tried to break into his house once. Well, yeah, <laughs> he did do that, <laughs> and it's not as impressive as you made it sound. This there, it was, he was he lived in an old folks' home at the time. It was another old folk living at that home uh, that he killed. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. That's terrible. <laughs> Dark tone for this first podcast. All right, anyway, <laughs> so he swore revenge after this, and. Uh, he later would. As for the event, and now, as I said, Hogan won a battle royal to receive a world title shot. And this, when this, after this happened, uh, the event, he canceled the show and moved it back a month, and then doubled the ticket prices, which people bought once again because they wanted to see the match. With the moving and the doubling of ticket prices, people started getting the impression that. Uh, you know, something was going to happen, which they weren't too far off. As Vern came up to Hogan, and this is like on the date, on the actual, on the day of the show, it's like the 11th hour, came up to Hogan, told him he was winning the belt, to which Ganya had regularly told Hulk he would never get, <laughs> due to the fact that he was, and I quote, a real wrestler. But he said he would get the belt on the condition he surrendered half of his New Japan money from mm. now on. Hulk responded with, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and it led to a big backstage argument that led to a big cluster of an ending for the match, which saw Hulk Hulk had pinned Bockwinkle, but Bobby distracted the ref, threw a foreign o- and Hogan, and then threw a foreign object to Nick. Hogan... Fortunately, intercepted and nailed Nick with the with the foreign object and pinned him. <laughs> the, pl- the place erupts, great feel good moment. But the commissioner of the NWA was there, and he reviewed it and reversed the decision. And thus, Hogan did not get the belt. Yeah. Now, a little side note regarding this match: the AWA of today actually amended this ruling. Yep. And officially reversed the decision, saying it now recognizes Hogan as a former AWA member. Yes. And apparently also at this time, Vern was making things very uncomfortable for Hogan, even trying to get Hulk to marry his daughter to keep him in the family. Who <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> who uh, Hulk said uh, that there was no way that was happening, because while she had a good body... She had her brother Greg's face. Oof. Mm. So essentially, <laughs> cool Hogan... situation all around, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. So essentially, Hogan was at a point where someone just needed to make an offer to him, and he would leave anybody. Who was well, that? Well, who finally glad, did? I'm glad you asked, there, Joe. Because it turned out to be Vincent Kennedy McMahon Jr. Yes. Yeah. So as miserable as Hogan was in AWA and needing a way out, when somebody who worked for the WWF, they dropped the W, <laughs> got a hold of him after an AWA show. Anyway, saying Vince wanted to see him, 
Hulk again thought this was a rib. <laughs> it was like, no, 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 Junior, Junior. Here, so, oh, and a little side note that I also learned from Talk is Jericho, like the very first uh, Hogan cover with Hulk Hogan on the WWF magazine mm-hmm. uh, was actually taken during an AWA event. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It was like at that because you know once like I said they got him after like a six man I think it was at AWA and that's when a guy t- the guy who approached him was also a photographer and he took a shot during the match. So anyway, when he got back to Minnesota, Hollywood noticed Vern. Act- All right, so when he came back to Minnesota, let's see, Hogan noticed both Vern and Greg acting shady when they announced that they were leaving a booking ring early. So he followed them to an airport where they spotted him having a covert meeting with Vince Vincent McMahon Jr. himself. This is one of the deciding factors for Hulk to make the call to WWE, where Vince sold him on his vision of going national with the Hulkster as his centerpiece. <laughs> and uh, Hulk Vince actually came to Hulk's house, and they talked. They... Uh, if I recall correctly, it started at at nine and it ended at six a.m. They talked for like nine hours, Eesh. negotiating, and finally they shook hands. And Hulk, and admittingly, he says he kind of regrets this, but you know he gave no notice to NWA. He just no. left. Yeah, he just gave him the bird, and off they went. Hulk, and uh, essentially. And essentially, he was off to become the Hogan that we all know and love. Hulk <laughs> redebuted on December 27th, 1983, besting Bill Dixon. Dixon. Yeah. <laughs> WWF confirmed his heel status by having, having him save WWE champion Bob Ackland from a three-on-one attack by the Wild Samoans on January 7th of 1984. Backlund would later explain the turn to fans, saying he's changed his ways. He's a great <laughs> man. He, he's told me he's not going to be have Blassie around him anymore. January thir- 23rd, three weeks later. Keep in mind, he, debu- he re-debuted on December 27th. Yeah. Hogan replaces an injured Backlund who had dropped the title to Iron Sheik. Mm-hmm. He, he, and... Hogan not only subs for the injured Backlund, but defeats the Iron Sheik, winning his first WWF championship. <laughs> now, do you know why uh, Hogan was the replacement in that match? Uh, yes, I do. I actually have it written here. The plan was for Bob to drop the belt to Hogan, but Backlund refused, citing he'd only drop the belt to a wrestler with a legitimate wrestling <laughs> background. That's got to hurt your feelings, right? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> After you go through freaking uh, Hiro Matsuda breaking your leg on your first day of training? Indeed. Uh, Figured well, that'd buy you just enough cred. You think so. <laughs> you would absolutely think so. And once again, you know, I could imagine, like, imagine John Cena or uh, Brock Lesnar pulling this garbage with Vince McMahon. <laughs> I'll only drop the belt to a legit NCAA champion. Get out of here. <laughs> Be done so quick. So Vince had Iron Sheik, a legit Iranian wrestling champion, beat him for the belt before jobbing it to Hogan. Yep. Now, Backlund was not used too much after this transgression. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, the story. 
Uh, yeah, and and uh, there's also the talk that uh, and uh, actually I, with uh, Iron Sheik, where uh, the rumor is or the much talked about, and this turns out to be legit at least if you listen to Hogan, where or Vern Gagne offered Iron Sheik a hundred thousand dollars if he broke Hogan's leg. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot uh, of money to uh, turn down. Oh yeah, especially at that at this period. So now, and which is weird though, because considering the state of AWA at the time, I don't know where he would have gotten the hundred grand to begin with. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, thankfully Iron Sheik didn't do that. I can only imagine what have been, you know, imagine that vision right there. If you know, everyone tuning into this Madison Square Garden broadcast <laughs> snaps uh, the. The Hogan, the Rocky Three guy, <laughs> he's like he's out for a year. You know, WWF could have uh, could have been done in, done in a bad way. Yeah, that would have been very that would have been a very different landscape. Yeah. So Iron Sheik uh, didn't do it, and he's a Hall of Famer now, and probably thanked very much by both parties. <laughs> it's around this time that the Hogan we would come to know and love take started to take place. In promos, he'd start talking about the three demandments. Which Joe, what are the three demandments? Uh, well, I believe uh, I believe there's some vitamins in there, some prayers. Uh, what's the other one? Train, say your prayers, and eat your vitamins. Yeah, that's the one. He would later add, "Believe in yourself," but for right now, it's three demandments. <laughs> Hulk also started wearing his now trademark yellow trunks and boots with bright red knee pads. This is also where we'd uh, develop the Hogan routine, starting with a house of fire, start then losing. Then you get hit with your with the opponent's finisher. Then the classic Hulk up, where essentially you just no sell, meaning you <laughs> pretend not to be hurt anymore, or the whole the whole match. The opponent is stunned, punches Hogan, he no-sells it, punches him again, no-sells it, starts hulking up even more, punches him again, points at him, you... <laughs> And, of course, you know, because that's working so well, they go to punch him again. Block. <laughs> one punch, two, three. Whip into the rope. Big boot. Bounce off the rope. Leg drop. One, two, three. <laughs> and then a five to ten minute celebration. <laughs> you know, like this, like, obviously this is always great when, you know, kids love it. You know, whatever. Um, but it's always funny that that the wrestlers never alter their plan when this thing happens. Like, and it's the same thing happens <laughs> with John Cena. It's like, why would you flail wildly at John Cena after the second shoulder block? Just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I remember when I was like a little kid, I was like very adamantly, like my parents would ask me what I would think about wrestling. I was like, just don't hit your finisher. That's all you need to do. With <laughs> yeah, I know. Like just pin him after a, a, a very well executed belly to back suplex and you're done. Yeah. I mean, the thing that would always get me is uh, what would happen if your God forbid your finisher was a submission, because because <laughs> then you know because Hogan wasn't going to like slowly get to the ropes like uh, John Cena would. No, what would end up happening each and every single time? Like DiBiase would have him in the Million Dollar Dream, and his harm would go down for a second time, and then. Ted DiBiase would become a complete moron, let go <laughs> of the move, and start celebrating like he just won. That's what. And that's what they all did. And then, while his back's turned, Hogan would start hulking up. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. it's uh. And the five-minute celebration, that was like the cap-off for many pay-per-views for the longest time. And you might as well roll credits. But, uh, yeah. 
But yeah, when I was a kid growing up, this was great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Real American also became his theme, which used to be uh, the tag, actually the music for a tag team that consisted of Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham. (laughs) Hogan became the face of WWE, just as Vince said. Yep. Main eventing house shows, getting his face all over merchandise. He even had a cartoon, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Which is uh, not a very good cartoon. I, I still like it. <laughs> I, I hope they put that on the network. That would be great. <laughs> Do you know who uh, voiced Hogan in that cartoon? Yeah. Oh, okay, it wasn't Ray Romano's brother from Everyone Loves Raymond. but It was. Very, it was, okay. Brad yes. Garrett. <laughs> Brad Garrett. He's He's had quite a career. <laughs> and uh, make no mistake, people, Hulk Hogan drew, meaning he people paid to see him as champion. Hogan did this at, a, at this point, did something no other wrestler did, and that's bring wrestling culture into popular culture, mm-hmm. into the mainstream. This was further expanded upon when MTV, back when they showed music videos, joined up <laughs> with WWF to form the Rock and Wrestling Connection. Uh, and uh, Hogan is still the only wrestler to ever grace the cover of Sports Illustrated. He is? Yeah. It's and that one cover where he's wearing that one, the white headband that says Hulkster on it, and that's the only time a wrestler has ever been on Sports Illustrated. During this time period, Hogan faced off against many greats, such as Terry Funk, Haku, Mr. Wonderful, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, who actually turned heel on Hogan, Ace Cowboy Bob Orton. I I can't. I never can tell if his name is Ace or Cowboy, <laughs> or is it both? Indeed. And of course, Roddy Piper, who we'd ha- have quite a few notable feuds with: King Kong Bundy, Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, and much, much more. A venerable who's who of uh, mm-hmm. early '80s wrestlers. Indeed. And if, if you were a heel, you wanted to work a main event with Hulk Hogan because it meant big money. Even if he, even if all he did was destroy you, it was it, <laughs> it was embarrassing, but it paid just as well. Indeed, but keep in keep in mind during this time, Hogan was the face and champion of an expanding WWF. At, at this time, Vince's vision was also to make his company nationwide, meaning he would go around on not only buying territories but performing, you know in conjunction with people from other territories. So he would end up, so he, he was basically the face of an expanding uh, company. He was essentially, he was legit the face of the company in every sense of the word, but many, he also had to face a lot of dangers. He would get in there. Like if you were a guy from another territory, that's not a part of WWF, you would love to be able to say you pinned into Hulk Hogan. As many, actually, at least according to Hulk Hogan interviews, would take liberties, let's just say. <laughs> or they would go for a pin and not give uh, Hogan a lot of room to kick out from or what have you. Because, you know, if the ref counted three, this is on TV now. And now the world just saw you pin the face of the company and, <laughs> God forbid, the championship on the line. So a lot of times they would do what's called shooting. And that's when you stop wrestling, you know, fake style for lack of a better term you were actually trying to beat the guy up like uh, I got a few examples here or one example here in his final match with New Japan Vince warned him that a deal fell through and this was his last night there yep he also told him to be careful because chances are you know 
know, they may try something. So Hogan checked out some things and found out that the guy he was facing, a Tatsumi Fujinami, had like a personal ref and, uh, you know, <laughs> like, here's what's going to happen. And like Hogan was like, yep. All right. So when he walked away, Hogan then grabbed the ref and then another ref and told him, okay, you're not in this match. You are. <laughs> and it gave him specific instructions, you know, to prevent him from covering him. Like he told, if you make a count, make sure you're close enough to me so I can grab your arm at the very least. He's, uh, this this uh, precaution that Hogan took actually earned uh, a lot of respect from one Andre the Giant, and which led to them slowly but surely becoming really, really good friends. And now this leads us to WrestleMania 1 in 1985. Now, WrestleMania, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, I'm sure, was a real gamble on the WWE's part. Oh, yeah. If this uh, venture failed, WWF was done. Because they literally poured every cent they had yeah. and into it. This was the very first pay-per-view in wrestling, as well as closed circuit, which meant that you would either go to a movie theater or a stadium to watch the event. I don't know if that's true. I'm pretty sure Starcade was in 83, wasn't it? Starcade was free, though, wasn't it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Starcade was free to combat the whole thing. But anyway... Vince wanted to throw an event that people could not only get tickets to, but watch from home and close circuit, thus making money not just from people on the gate. If it was ex- to make sure it was a success, Vince combined Hogan's star power with celebrity star power. Thanks, in t- thanks to his time in Rocky Three, Hogan had made friends with Mr. T. Yeah. So, along with Vince, they coaxed him to do a tag match with Hogan against the two two of his biggest rivals. Roddy Piper, and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Yeah, and you can't overstate how popular Mr. T was during that time. Like, he was a megasaur. Mm, Yeah, he was like the epitome of cool. (laughs) With his cool haircut, his cool name. Hey, back then it was cool. (laughs) It's like, the, the closest I can think of to explain it, like, the Chuck Norris stories, like, that was the kind of badass Mr. T was. Like, you did not mess with Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did not. And the very fact that he was willing to get in the ring was uh, pretty spectacular. Because, he don't, don't, don't be mistaken, he did, in fact, get in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, the backstory was explained uh, quite well. As I believe it was the war to, not the war, the wrestling classic where Hogan and uh, Pi- and Piper finally met. No, no, no. Even before that, uh, Mr. T, it was like a, a little celebration where I believe uh, Captain Lou Albano and Cindy Lauper, who was a big part <laughs> of the Rocket Wrestling Connection, were actually in the ring receiving a golden record. Uh, Piper and company would crash the party, take the golden re- record and smash it over Lou Albano's head <laughs> and nice. start. And in a, quite a shocking turn, Piper would then pick up and, like, throw around Cindy Lauper, even going as far as to, like, kick her kind of in the stomach. It was more <laughs> like he got his foot under there and lifted her, but it looked kind of close enough to a kick. Uh, Hogan would get in the ring, and uh, when Mr. Wonderful come in there to, like, outnumber Hogan, Lauper, who had left the ring, came back with Mr. T to even the score, and the place exploded when Mr. T came in there. Yeah. Mr. T would also come to back up Hogan uh, during the Wrestling Classic as well, if I'm remembering correctly, too. So it all of this built up a lot towards the match. And uh, as uh, much as Vince did for the show, a lot of credit does ne- need to go to Hogan. 
as Hogan, you know, played peacemaker with Piper and Wonderful, who did not want a job to a movie star. <laughs> right. Indeed. Small spoiler, by the way, there. <laughs> oh, no. Damn it, Malcolm. I was going to watch this. Oh. So he played peacemaker on multiple occasions, saying that they would be better off if they followed through, and they were. Speaking of not wanting to do it, Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> After a while of nonstop advertising and training, because you know, a lot of training goes into wrestling, and then after training they would do media circuits and what have you, became very despondent and would disappear completely from time to time. Oh, boy. T, T famously was missing from the arena on the day of the show. <laughs> oh, boy. Vince would found out he was in the parking lot, threatened to leave, and sent Hogan to investigate. He found T with his entourage arguing with a guard. T wanted to bring his crew in. And the guard was having none on of it. So Hulk uh, got the guard to back off and got T into the building and then never let him out of his sight. <laughs> Once Going back to the advertising, Hogan and T did a lot of nonstop media touring to spread the word of WrestleMania. This included news channels, talk shows, even Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Even did a guest spot on the A-Team later on, too. And uh, another spoiler, WrestleMania was a resounding success. Otherwise, this would be a very short review. <laughs> as, as people tuned in in droves... This, wouldn't be a show. this probably wouldn't be a podcast. Probably wouldn't, no. <laughs> people tried in, tuned in in droves to watch Mr. T wrestle, or tried to as he got blown up after his very first fireman's carry. <laughs> but faces over, much success. Hogan would continue uh, on towards WrestleMania 2. From here, it gets pretty easy to recount his career. As, uh, back then, everything built up towards WrestleMania or whatever pay-per-view they were doing, especially yeah. when you're Hogan, the main event. Yeah, and so much more of it is on camera as well. So it's very easy to actually look up and see uh, the results of, of all these actions. Mm. Um, oh, I, I wanted to ask you, what did you think of WrestleMania 1 there, Joe? Um... Just Hogan's part or the, the event? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like so many of Hogan's uh, WrestleMania, biggest WrestleMania match, it's more about the spectacle than the actual in-ring action. Um, mm. But, yeah, like, it's obviously a super important uh, matchup. So, like, it's it's always cool to just kind of see, every like, the spectacle built up around it. Like, seeing Muhammad Ali and Liberace at ringside <laughs> just kind of hanging out. It's like, what? Like, there's no other context where, where, where that would happen ever. Uh, so mm. it's co cool that, of all people, to make that happen. It's Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan uh, bringing yeah. this circus together. And WrestleMania 2 would have a hard act to follow. To say the very least. <laughs> uh, this was the first and only WrestleMania to actually take place in three different uh, arenas. <laughs> and as a result, the first and only Res WrestleMania to lose money. Indeed, indeed. It's uh, it was a bit of a pain in the neck as uh, if you while you were sitting there waiting for your part of the <laughs> show to kick in, you would be watching what was going on in other arenas, and then oh finally you can get the start and oh, God. of course everyone wanted to be the one Hogan was in, and uh, the story of Hogan's match was he was up against King Kong Bundy who earlier in the year had uh, actually taken him out by doing multiple. <laughs> of his avalanche splashes, which is essentially a stinger splash, yeah. throw a guy in, in the corner and jump on him. But being King Kong Bundy, being an enormous dude, uh, probably more 400 impactful. And 430 pounds, if I recall. <laughs> yeah, a little more impactful than the stinger splash, I think. Oh, yeah. Not as fun as the stinger splash. Oh, no. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but definitely hurt him. 
Oh, yeah. And put Hogan on the shelf, breaking several ribs. <laughs> Hogan wanted revenge, so he challenged Bundy to a ma- not just a match, a steel cage match, which was, you know, good for what it was. <laughs> I do miss those cages, though, from back in the day. The, yeah, the blue... I miss the blue cages, yeah, yes. Like, like, instead of the, like, the, the wire fences that they have now. Yeah. So much more I, boring. I, yeah, I, I thought they, you know, one, it, it looked more impactful when you threw a guy into the blue ones. And two, it was easier. I imagine they were easier to climb. Yeah, too. I mean that's probably the, why they stopped using them because they're easier to climb. I guess maybe make it harder yeah. to climb out. Uh, yeah. Uh, I actually, you know, I actually had a. They actually wrote a preschool book about this match. <laughs> or it's like I actually bought it. It was like Hulk. It was called Hulk Hogan keeps the belt, and it just stole, told the story in this match. It was like ten pages. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. From there, we go into arguably the biggest WrestleMania of Hogan's career. I'd say of anybody's career. Yeah, WrestleMania three, one of the most legendary of the WrestleManias, is the main event was Hulk versus Andre the Giant for the title. Yeah, and it was it was as big a match as you can get. Now, around this time, or but at least before this time, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant were actually best friends. Teaming up on multiple occasions. In fact, when Hogan won the belt for the first time, the first guy to congratulate him was Andre the Giant, who famously, in a very famous wrestling image, poured champagne over over Hulk Hogan's head. Uh, Leading up uh, to WrestleMania, both of them had received awards on Piper's Pit. (laughs) I love this Piper's Pit, by the way. Andre received a an award for being undefeated for 15 years, which he actually was not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I said, you know, so much, so little of wrestling was on TV during that span that you could get away with saying so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Andre got a trophy for that and said, "Yeah, 15 years. It's pretty awesome." And then Hogan came out and he won a chance won an award for being the world champion for three years or what, what have you. <laughs> I love that you can win a separate award for being champion. Indeed. <laughs> it's like, isn't that already its own award? You would think, I mean, the belt is, <laughs> that's what the belt is. <laughs> <laughs> I love wrestling logic. And what makes this uh, Piper's Pit so magical is watching Andre's face as he compares the size of his trophy and the size of Hogan's trophy. And as great as being the world champion is in you know in uh, Andre's defense, you would think that being undefeated for 15 <laughs> years would be a little higher on the food chain. But, no, Hogan was drastically bigger than his. Yeah. And, you know, Hogan was, you know, being Hogan and hot-dogging on the mic. And uh, Andre eventually just walks out and kind of disgust. And uh, this would continue on. Until, you know, apparently they hadn't talked in quite some time. So they, uh, so Jesse the Body got Andre and Piper got Hogan for another Piper's Pit. And uh, when uh, when Andre came back, in tow, he brought Bobby the Brain Heenan. Gasp! Indeed, this, it was, this was a shocking moment, actually. <laughs> and uh, Andre got on the mic and... Threw it out there. I'm out here to challenge you for the WWF title at WrestleMania 3. And in a, another famous scene, say what you will about Hogan, he make, he knows how to make a moment dramatic and last in your head. 
he starts begging Andre, don't do this. We're friends. We can talk this out. And Andre grabs the cross from Hogan's chest and rips it right off. Along with the shirt, right? Uh-huh. And, discuss- and throws it to the ground and-, and walks off. And Hogan then falls to the ground and starts crying. <laughs> and in this very dramatic moment, uh, Piper would ask him the challenge, yes or no. And Hogan, once again, hamming it up, didn't say it out immediately. And then finally yells, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Like, those are the things that I go back to that make me forget about how much of a dickhead that Hulk Hogan can be sometimes. (laughs) Well, this is what you want to do. You want... Because, you know, you could say he's a dickhead, but the way he acted made that moment last in my memory for my entire life. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. (laughs) Uh, Now, Andre had what I would say is taker status, which means that, once again, like... He basically, Vince followed his lead. Yeah. He, meaning if he didn't want a job, he really wasn't going to do it. <laughs> I mean, what, was I no... mean, what the hell could you even do about it, though? <laughs> Big ass Andre the Giant, who's always got like two quarts of whiskey in him at all times. Imagine if WrestleMania three ended with them brawling to the back. Like <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Anyway. So Vince wanted, wanted Andre to job. Uh, this was, and this was, uh, admittingly, this was the beginning of the end of Andre. Yeah. As his back issues had started to hurt him. Like, it's unfortunate. Like, most of the documented footage of Andre was, like, towards uh, WrestleMania 3 and on, mm-hmm. which is when uh, his back had made him really, really immobile. When back in the day, he used to be just, like, a young kid except a giant <laughs> yeah. with amazing agility and what have you. And Finally, his body just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And I think he realized it, too. You can see... Anyway, you can see a lot of this in all all his matches from here on out, as I pointed out, as uh, they were able to cover it up as best as they could, which Andre worked extreme big man style, which he would just stand there, and, you know, if he toppled over, that would be a big moment. <laughs> and, you know, at this point, his, like, move set would consist of choking you, chin locks, choking you, throwing you... Choking you some more, and uh, <laughs> an occasional slam. Oh, and and a headbutt. Don't forget those. And he had this. His finisher was this really weird-looking suplex thing, where he just grab you in a front face lock and flip you over. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, a uh, thankfully Andre was quite willing to job to Hogan, who he respected. Hogan actually planned out this match, by the way. A is a measure to not only protect Andre, but, you know, to make the match look good. Actually, and uh, Hulk would later state he had no idea he was winning until the match happened. (laughs) Yeah, which is crazy. It it could have won with, uh, you know, Andre winning. Like, he actually wrote two endings, one where he hits the leg drop and pins him, and he hits the other where he hits the leg drop and Andre kicks out, out and then just beats him, but... Andre, to his credit, memorized the match completely and didn't kick out of the leg drop, which Hogan was expecting. Uh, that iconic uh, body slam, which, as I pointed out, they make this out. This is the first time that Andre left his feet, but Hulk had made a career of body slamming Andre. <laughs> right. And didn't. And who won that body slam challenge for, like, the rest of WrestleMania? Wasn't it John Studd? 
Yeah, John, it was John Studd versus Andre the Giant, and uh, Andre won because he oh, was able okay. to body slam him. He took the money, but then Bobby grabbed it right back. <laughs> oh, boy. All those ones. <laughs> anyway, the Iconic actually uh, tore a hole in Hogan's bag, at least according to his book. Thankfully, the adrenaline rushed. Uh, he was like in pain from the moment he lifted him up, but thankfully, adrenaline helped him complete the move. As Hogan stated, if Andre had fallen on him, he would have killed him. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that iconic image, by the way. <laughs> Just Hogan. <laughs> like, oh, boy. Uh, WrestleMania is canceled forever, folks. <laughs> what? Well, you got to admit, that's going to make you want to tune in for Raw the next day. <laughs> uh, uh, in the aftermath, the war between Andre and Hogan was actually far from over after WrestleMania three. Bobby Heenan famously telling everyone that Andre had actually won the match at Mania 3, as in the beginning of the match, Hogan started right off to try to body slam him, but Andre fell on him. And uh, he points out some video footage saying that Hogan actually failed to kick out and that, <laughs> and that Andre is the rightful number one contender. This led to some very, very nice choice encounters between the two, usually in tag matches and battle royals where Andre would actually get the upper hand on multiple occasions, and this just kept it like right up. Like most famously, I believe there was a battle royal on Saturday night's main event, where uh, they fought for a little bit. Hogan was getting the advantage, and somebody like attacked Hogan while he dealt with him. Andre grabbed him from the back, from behind, headbutt him in the back, and then threw him out. And like it was enough to say, "Oh, Hogan had him," but like enough to make you want to say, wanted you to pay money to see him beat up Andre. So good on him. <laughs> This would actually lead to the the second pay-per-view of WWE's uh, creation, Survivor Series 87, where the two were actually in the main event as Team Hogan. And Joe, who was on Team Hogan? Uh, tell me, buddy. <laughs> it was Hulk Hogan, of course. <laughs> of course. And newly faced Paul Orndorff. The Rock! Don Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Patera, fresh out of jail, and <laughs> Bam Bam Bigelow, as they took on Team Andre. Any guesses on this one? Uh, Paul White? Nope. <laughs> Filling in for the Giant? <laughs> yes. He was like, what, two? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it consisted of uh, Andre the Giant, of course. OMG, one-man gang. <laughs> King Kong Bundy. Butch Reed. And ravishing Rick Rude. All right. Yeah, and after a back-and-forth affair, which Hogan, once again, finally got his hands on Andre, but then Andre's teammates pulled him out of the ring and started brawling with Hogan, and by the time he finished them off, he had already been counted out. What a dupes. Mm -hmm. So Andre would become the first sole survivor in the history of Survivor Series. Nice. Yeah, little-known fact. Now, around this time, now, after this, around this time, a plucky young newcomer who actually was wrestling way back at the beginning, now that I think about it, the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, debuted. <laughs> well, his gimmick was that everyone had a, has a price. <laughs> and he, would let, he would show this off by forcing people to do embarrassing <laughs> acts for money. God, I love Ted DiBiase. Oh, he was the greatest. <laughs> uh, and so... He, to prove this even further, he offered to buy the title from Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> and 
again, and the doucheness that Hulk that uh, Joe was talking about with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> like, do you remember the interview where he says no? No, I don't. Oh God, it's it's amazing. And he like like uh, Mean Gene is like, so what is your what is your uh, answer to the Ted DiBiase? And he's like, well, Mean Gene, mean, that's a lot of a million dollars is a lot of money. And I can't do the whole impression for the whole thing. <laughs> it's like it's a lot of money. So I, after much thinking about it, and then he takes off the belt slowly <laughs> and looks at it, and like so depressed, and the crowd's going, "No, no!" It's like on behalf of all my Hulkamaniacs. And then he slowly like extends it to the camera, and, and then suddenly yells out, "Hell no!" <laughs> <laughs> so great it's so it's like if you want it you're gonna have to come and get it and get it he did as uh andre and hogan had their long-awaited rematch on saturday night's main event the two who would have have their match and once again hogan messes up the body slam again but this time the ref counts three even though hogan's shoulder was clearly up <laughs> And Andre gets the title, starts to celebrate, and and immediately grabs the mic and says, I surrender the tag team championship to Ted DiBiase. <laughs> or the world and, championship. <laughs> Not a tag team championship. That would have been weird. Well, that's what he said. Oh, that's what he said? That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, you're right, Joe. That was weird. <laughs> So Million Dollar Man comes out, gives him the million dollars, and he takes the belt. As Million Dollar Man is the world champion. So I wish. Uh, as they leave, uh, another Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner <laughs> no, was a ref. No, Dave Hebner was a ref. Wasn't Dave Hebner. You sure? Okay, yeah. there was Dave and Earl Hebner. Okay. But I think Dave but, was the one that was supposed to be calling the match. You sure? I, I was, I'm, pretty, I'm very sure it was Earl Hebner was the referee. Well, either way. Anyway, anyway, the uh, the Hepners uh, were twins. Yeah, like actual now, real life <laughs> identical yeah. twins. Now Earl Hebner was a referee for the longest time in WWE, and uh, for this stunt, they uh, actually the ref that counted three, he was you know was raising Ted's hand or raising Andre, and then Ted's hand. When he leaves the ring, Hogan's arguing with him, and all of a sudden Earl comes out. So now Hogan's like. His, once again, milking it up is like two identical referees. Then finally, one referee punches the other referee, and that's how you know which one's the bad one. Yep. So Hogan destroys him. And the story was they were twins. But the way they played it out, of course, was that the million-dollar man, using his millions of dollars, <laughs> paid for a guy to get plastic surgery <laughs> to look just like a ref. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I love old-school WWE. So, Jack Tunney would have none of it. Uh, Jack Tunney, by the way, was the quote-unquote president of WWF at the time. It was, no, no, you're wrong. It was owned and ruled by Vince McMahon, but on screen, it was Jack Tunney who called, who made called the shots. <laughs> so, at this point, he said that, uh, well, Ted DiBiase had the belt for about one week and actually did the house show circuit with the belt and everything. However... Jack Tunney would then proclaim that his reign was stricken from the record. And sadly, that's still the case, as Ted DiBiase is <laughs> technically not a cha former world champion, yet Andre is. Yeah, that's weird. 
Yeah, that's very weird. But anyway, <laughs> it's like neither one is legit, right? Yeah, because you know they both cheated to a to a high degree, and instead of just giving the title back to Hulk Hogan, he decided to make a sixteen man tournament that would take place at WrestleMania Four. Yeah, to decide a new champion, causing the first and last WrestleMania. Well, no, no, there have been other WrestleManias since that went four hours, but this was the oh, first. Pretty much all of them for the last few years, at least. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, this tournament, by the way, was very 80s-tastic with a lot of count-outs and brawls to the backs and double DQs (laughs) to speed things along. It was around this time we would get really introduced. Well, he'd been around for a while, but Macho Man entering the main event scene. Macho Man, fresh off the heels at WrestleMania 3, where he had the match of the night and probably his career with Ricky Dr- the Dragon Steamboat. Match of any WWE wrestler's career. Indeed. Where he took out, not only, uh, he didn't take him out, he lost the belt, but he looked <laughs> magnificent. As Macho Man, uh, and they after that, they Vince was in love with the Macho Man and started pushing him more and more and more. Until finally, we're, here we are, WrestleMania Four, where he's actually on quite a roll, and he makes it all the way to the finals. Macho Man, who would fight his way through the entire tournament, uh, Ted DiBiase actually got a few buys, so he was pretty n- nice and fresh. So Hogan and Andre would fu- actually got a buy right into the uh, quarterfinals or semifinals. I forget. Um. Well, he just got a buy. Is all I know. Quarterfinals, yeah. I have it right here. Sorry, and, but Andre and Hulk just grab chairs and just DQ each other, which was an... <laughs> this is real dumb. Yeah, it was kind of a anticlimactic end to that feud, but whatever. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, Macho Man takes on Ted DiBiase in the finals. Andre the Giant comes out to Ted DiBiase's aid, and for a while is uh, right is making sure that Ted is going to win. So Macho Man tells uh, Elizabeth to go to the back, and she comes back with Hogan. Hogan helps Macho Man <laughs> win the belt. And thus, we for the first time in a long time, we have a champion who's not Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Now, shortly thereafter, at this point, after an incident at Saturday Night's main event where Hogan would again come, come out to help Macho Man and... Furthermore, Hulk and uh, Savage officially became a tag team by the known, better known as the Mega Powers. Which, to put it, imagine if The Rock and Stone Cold decided to become a tag team, as weird as that would be. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and they were huge over. Mega, mega over. No pun intended. (laughs) Now, sadly, this was kind of, this is one of those instances where Hulk Hogan where people wonder about Hulk Hogan's backstage antics. Because mm-hmm. while Macho Man was the world champion, uh, it was rare that you saw Macho Man in a tag title match where Elizabeth didn't need to go to the back to get Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Which made Macho Man look weak. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, so this continued uh, through SummerSlam 88. Once again, another pay-per-view where the main event was the Mega Powers taking on the Mega Bucks. <laughs> Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant, where they won thanks to Liz stripping. Oh, boy. I'm not kidding. Oh, boy. But, and by stripping, I mean she took her skirt off. Oh, you know, don't worry. <laughs> uh, who are the tag champs at, at this time, anyway? Oh, gosh. 
Uh, I, I'm not. Oh, I think Demolition was. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah. The WrestleMania four, they they beat Strike Force and won the tag titles. I remember. Uh, so anyway, wrestling. So at that point on, they moved on to a feud with the Twin Towers. <laughs> uh, who uh, comprised of who, Joe? Uh, I believe one of them was Earthquake, wasn't it? Nope. Who was it? Wow. Okay, I got. It. I'm completely confused. Tell me, <laughs> who are the Twin Towers? Uh, one was the Big Boss Man. Ah, okay. There you go. And, and the other was formerly OMG, the one man. <laughs> and who His name was not. Uh, he was Akeem, the African Dream. Oh boy. Which was created as a rib of the of Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. No, that character never made sense to me. It's just a white dude dressed well, up in a daishiki for some reason. <laughs> it's like okay. Yeah, because uh, the joke was that Slick found actually went with the one man gang and they looked into his heritage and found out that he was actually of Africa. So he rediscovered his African roots and came back as Akeem, the African dream. Okay. Where they essentially told the guy to just uh, act like slick, and what you saw on uh, TV is what you got. Mm. <laughs> By the way, at this point in professional wrestling, uh, if you were a fat guy, you had it made in the main event scene. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because you know, if you've noticed, Hogan faces a lot of fat guys. Uh, like Macho Man was like the one black sheep out of all of them, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, like Andre, Bundy, Twin Towers, like especially with Big Boss Man, Hogan had some quite a few big big feuds. I guess they just love seeing Hogan body slam people. Yeah. Which admittingly, I miss the body slam. You don't see it anymore. No, you don't. Anyway. Hey, from here, I write down Seeds of Anger as we proceed to enter, in my opinion the best storyline in the history of the WWF. Like, just the build for it was absolutely perfect because you could very easily miss it. Yeah. Like, we start with Survivor Series 88, where it was Team Mega Powers. <laughs> any, any guesses on that team, Joe? Well, I, I would assume that Macho Man and Hulk Hogan are somehow involved. Very good. <laughs> what else? Who else? Hercules. Ooh. Coco Beware. All right. Hall of Famer. Yeah. And Hillbilly Jim. Nice. Taking on the twin, or I guess five towers, of <laughs> Akeem, Big Boss Man, Ted DiBiase, Haku, and of course, the legendary Red Rooster. <laughs> oh, God. And the Mega Powers win with Savage and Hogan being the sole survivors in very dramatic fashion as the uh, climax uh, boss man actually handcuffed Hogan to a guardrail. While Macho Man was like trapped in the ring, getting beat up, and while Macho Man was fought his way to down, down to Haku, Haku was just absolutely destroying him. So, with Liz's help, they had to like get the keys and Hogan tag in just in time to help out Macho Man and beat Haku. It was, it was pretty pretty good. And uh, here's where the seeds start. As during the celebration, Hogan hoists. Liz on his shoulder and starts posing with her. And you see like this very right. small hint of anger in his eyes. And it was a, just very small. And like uh, Jesse, the body Ventura, one of the announcers caught it and like tried to interview him. And Macho Man's like, no, there's not, everything's fine. Cut to another <laughs> new, uh, another new one. The Royal rumble of 89 Hulk accidentally eliminates the macho man while macho man's eliminating the big, 
Bad News Brown. Savage is livid, runs in the ring, and the you know, the Royal Rumble kind of stops. Like, they're just stopping and looking at the Mega Powers. They're like all like us, like going, oh, shit, the Mega Powers. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually they calm down and they hug and then promptly beat up Hogan and eliminate him. But anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, it was like, once again, one of those seats. And then finally... I start uh, labeling the dates of these Saturday nights and main events as on February 3rd, 89, in the ma- the match was the Twin Towers versus the Mega Powers. As uh, during the match, uh, Macho Man is thrown to the outside and collides with Elizabeth. Uh, Macho Man gets back in the ring to continue the match while Hogan is all distraught over Liz <laughs> and picks her up and leaves Macho Man to die as he <laughs> takes her to the back. Basically, yes. <laughs> It's one of those, like, when you were watching it, you totally understood where Hogan was coming from, but now in hindsight, you're like, yeah, what the hell was he doing? <laughs> leaves Macho Man. Macho Man that gets brutalized with the Twin Towers as Hogan takes uh, Liz to the back to be examined by a doctor, and as Liz, and this is priceless, he's like gra- holding her hand to her forehead, crying, saying, please get better, please get better. And then finally Liz comes to a little bit and, like, reminds him that there's a match going on. And then Hogan's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go over there. He runs to the back and uh, goes to tag Macho Man. Macho Man finally gets him within reach of tagging Hogan, slaps him in the face, and le- runs out, leaving him to get beat <laughs> up by the Twin Towers. And in true Hulk Hogan fashion, despite the odds being completely against him, Hogan still wins. Of course. <laughs> of course. So Hogan goes to the back to try to figure things out. And uh, this is uh, actually if you were watching this live and like not on the WWE Network now, but uh, the uh, head of NBC failed to count them down after a commercial. So as soon as the commercial break comes back, you can see Hogan talk to the guy behind the camera. Like, okay, count us down when we're about ready to start. Oh, oh, we're starting. We're starting now. So this is the, where we get the famous "You Have Eyes for Elizabeth" promo from Macho Man, as he just goes full heel and attacks Hogan in the back yeah. in the most dramatic fashion. And at this point, the match is made for WrestleMania Five, and Savage declares he hates Hogan's guts and he's going to spread them all over the ring <laughs> at WrestleMania Five. Ah, oh, done and done. WWE had my money after this. And on a side note, this was actually the match that got me into wrestling as I saw a commercial for WrestleMania V. <laughs> like, and, that looks cool. Yeah, I was actually huge into Godzilla. <laughs> like, that looks time. okay. Yeah. I was huge into Godzilla at the time, and I saw Hogan and Hulk, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan, and I'm like, wow, they're monsters, just like uh, I watch on TV here. So I got into it, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> uh, Mega Powers explode in what was, is still my favorite, one of my favorite WrestleManias of all time. And, unfortunately, Macho Man is silly and hits his finisher on Hulk Hogan. <laughs> no, what are you doing? <laughs> no. And the rest is history. One, two, three, and Hogan wins the strap. Now, uh, if you watch this show, watch this pay-per-view, you also got a commercial for No Holds Barred. Oh, boy. Hogan's first movie, which I have a few notes about here. Now, this uh, movie, let's... Not to be able to know, but Vince and Hulk actually wrote this film in a weekend. <laughs> oh, you can tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. That you... Those two men wrote that in one single weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
The movie, it's not good. But uh, <laughs> no, sir. I would argue that it's it's bad in an entertaining way, at least. Oh, sure. I, yeah, you can like you could point out. Yeah, that's a Vince joke right there. Dookie. Okay. <laughs> uh, Hogan thought that was cool. All right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they essentially stayed in a hotel together to write it, <laughs> and. Uh, Hogan lied right to my well, not to my face, but he lied to me about this movie as he appeared. I actually watched him on a Nickelodeon show as a Hulkamaniac. I wanted to see this movie in the worst way. <laughs> and he, in an interview, I, I watched him cut on Nickelodeon, no less. He says, like, yeah, this is a very different movie. There's no blood. There's no death. It's great for all families. Uh, I go to the movie. Uh, there was blood coming out of Zeus's mouth, and I saw a man get electrocuted. So that was great. <laughs> And this is after I tell my mom all this. Don't worry, mom. There's no death or anything like that. And I got the riot act on the way back home. So thanks, Hulk. <laughs> but most importantly, this is where you would meet a guy called Tiny Lister, a.k.a. Zeus. Yeah. Who played his role into perfection, who I would argue, Joe, is probably the best celebrity that they've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. Yeah, he uh, filmed the movie. He came, he was menacing. He was absolutely great. And then from here, we cut to Saturday night's main event of May 27th, 1989. Uh, while juggling a feud with uh, Macho Man, Hulk was also feuding with the Big Boss Man. It took him on in a steel cage match for the WF title. Uh, boss Man brought insurance, and that insurance was Zeus, who in his full Zeus guard and in character, might I add, <laughs> standing on the ring steps waiting for Hogan. The rare double fictional character. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ho tried to get into the ring, but, but uh, Zeus would not budge. So when Hulk went to go after Zeus, Zeus just, like, clobbered him, <laughs> then strangled him, and then locked uh, in Hogan was down. Uh, Zeus was sent to the back. The story is that Zeus was pissed about having to lose to Hogan in the movie, so he had to fight Hogan in the WWF so he could fight him for real. <laughs> Let that sink in for the irony there. Good gracious. And this feud would continue on to uh, Saturday night's main event on July 29th, where during a match between Savage and Brutus Beefcake, Zeus attacked Brutus Beefcake, one of Hogan's best friends. Hulk then came to make the save, and Savage struck Hogan in the back with chairs, and they were left laying for a while till Hogan hulked up and no sold. Of course. Yeah. We then cut to cut to SummerSlam '89, and where the main event was Hulk, Hogan and Beefcake versus Macho Man and Zeus. And by the way, you have to see the promo from the heels from this pay per view. It's absolutely '90s tastic. Oh, like Macho Man had the cauldron of the madness there. <laughs> oh, it was great. And, and uh, you may be wondering why it's not just Zeus and Hogan for the title. Well, number one, Zeus was uh, just an actor still, and he was still learning the whole wrestling game. <laughs> Macho Man and Hogan were actually there to protect them so they could learn on the go. And they were actually hoping for Zeus versus Hogan would main event WrestleMania six. Hmm. Let that sink in, and considering what the <laughs> matchup is. <laughs> mm. Now, 
They apparently didn't make too much money on the movie, so no. for yeah, on No Holds Barred. So when No Holds Barred came to pay per view, they did a move to an interesting move to make some money. Where if you got the movie, you also got the final battle between Hulk Hogan and Zeus, as it was uh, Hulk and Brutus Beefcake versus Macho Man and Zeus in a steel cage. And actually ended pretty nicely where Macho Man and uh, Beefcake were outside the ring. Beefcake went in to help, and Hogan's like, no, I have to finish this by myself. <laughs> it's weird that this pay-per-view isn't on the network. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, putting on the movie. I mean, there were other matches, too. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's because it is a movie, and they'd have to, like, do some sort of deal with, what is it, New Line? Yeah. And, uh, by the way, this matchup must have been after, was also after Survivor Series, where... Oh, it was the Hulkamaniacs versus uh, the Million Dollar Team, where Zeus was on uh, Million Dollar Man's team, where once again he gets disqualified in like two minutes just by strangling Hogan and what have you. Oh, by the way, one of the inter- one of the humorous things about Zeus's move sets is that he snaps your neck. <laughs> yeah, that's like somehow that doesn't strike me as a practical <laughs> move. It's it's like weird seeing Hogan Hulk up from that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you're you're dead. That's it. Uh, but then again, he did it several times in WCW. So yeah, we'll get to that later. So so that match that so that pay per view actually does really good because people you know like the movie enough and they wanted to see the uh, the match between uh, in the steel cage. So it, they made a good chunk of their money back. Uh, then we cut to Royal Rumble '90 where we got a nice little tease for Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior was the other face of the company at the time. The only guy on the roster that was even matching Hulk Hogan's T-shirts or merchandise sales and was getting quite a bit of attention. Uh, It was one of of those things where the Ultimate Warrior was, and he was also the Intercontinental Champion at the time, back when that meant something. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) So... at one point of the war, one point in the rumble, I'll never forget it. Warrior throws one guy out. Hogan throws another guy out, and then that realization when you realize they're the only two people in the ring, so they have to fight. Yeah, and the crowd just loses their mind as they stare it's at like, each other for like thirty seconds. Because it was something you never, it you never really thought about it. Like you thought there at this time, if you were faces, then faces don't fight faces, right? And plus, they were mega popular, so you're like, "There's no way that's ever gonna be a thing." <laughs> right. And I think, like, I think, like, the rumor is that, like, Vince set it up that way because he wanted, he he was leaning towards that being the the WrestleMania like main event, but I guess he wanted to see what the reaction would be from the crowd just to see them. Is that true? And yeah, and what a reaction it was. <laughs> so we pr- were pretty much locked for WrestleMania six as. The ultimate challenge was made as Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior became a thing. It was title for title. Yep. Meaning Hogan could have won the Intercontinental <laughs> title. Like, but, what's that? <laughs> which in hindsight is a ludicrous idea at this point. <laughs> well, Flair was the Intercontinental champion <laughs> at one point. And, you know, they continued to build it perfectly where the two never touched each other. They would be in tag matches together. But there would like be spots where they would be like Warrior would go to clothesline Hogan but would stop. Or Hogan would go to like hit the Warrior but would stop just before he made contact. It made you want to get to that point where you they would make contact. And 
finally we get to WrestleMania 6, and granted, not exactly a technical masterpiece, but if you were a kid and this was like your two superheroes fighting, this was pretty incredible. Yeah. But Hogan lost. Yeah. Clean. Yeah. One of the very and few instances he can say that. Indeed. But once again, dark side of Hogan here. <laughs> much much like uh, Hogan would uh, help make sure to help Savage retain so that at the end of the day, he look, still looks stronger than Savage. At the uh, end of the matchup, he took forever to get out of the ring. Yep. Like, he was in there. Sulking, then he slowly goes to the outside, and the camera's following him while Warrior is trying to celebrate. <laughs> then gets in the ring, hands the belt to off to him. They embrace. Hulk gets on one of those little carts that they had to take people in the ring, and the camera kept panning to him as they, he was exiting out. It kept like Hogan in the focus. Like it reminds me, of, like at WrestleMania twelve when. Uh, Shawn Michaels beat Brett for the title and then told him to get out of the ring. <laughs> right. It was like, at the time, and especially being a Bret Hart mark, I, I was a little ticked. But at the same time, you know, in hindsight now, I can understand Shawn Michaels' point. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, like I win. you, I beat you. Get out of here. <laughs> it's like, it's my moment. Get out. <laughs> uh, but I, but anyway. He did that at WrestleMania 5, too, didn't he? Like, after... Mm-hmm. after- <laughs> where he's like, yeah. Or no, wait, no, was it? Or no, WrestleMania 4, I mean, didn't he? Yeah, he, he stood, he was in the ring the whole celebration. Yeah, it's he like, was like, <laughs> it's like, you didn't win. You lost in the, like two rounds ago. Get out of here. It's like, it was actually him who got the belt and uh, put it on Savage's shoulder. Like, get the fuck out of here, man. Let Macho Man get oh, it. Boy. Uh, but I digress. At this time, Hogan was entering a feud with Earthquake, who would famously put him out of action by hitting multiple Earthquake splashes, which <laughs> Earthquake was like, what, 400 pounds as he well? He was a big so, fella. Indeed. So his finisher would be to get a running start, jump, and sit on your chest and crush you. <laughs> and uh, he hit Hogan like three times on the Brother Love Show, which was a famous uh, interview segment back in the day. And uh, crushed Hogan's career. Uh, it took him off TV. But in reality, he was off filming his second movie, <laughs> Suburban Commando. Oh boy. Which uh, I would argue is about roughly the end of when uh, Hogan's movies become entertaining. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it not, wasn't a very big run there between Rocky Three and No Holds Barred. And then everything else is like, well, yep, everything else is unmitigated garbage. Oh, if you guys want to see uh, Undertaker's film debut, you can check out Suburban Commandos. <laughs> or no. <laughs> uh, WWF uh, milked this hev- this heavily, by the way, like with uh, the videos. And this was the very famous uh, friendship bracelet deal where if you wanted Hulk Hogan to return, you would buy his Hulk, the Hulk Hogan friendship bracelet and never take it off until he retur- announces his return to the ring. Oh, man. And it went on for, like, the entire summer till he finally <laughs> announced that he would come back at the SummerSlam, which ended in a count-out victory. His match with Earthquake, <laughs> it was a double main event where, uh, you know, he body-slammed uh, Earthquake on the announce table and then uh, got back in and won the count-out victory, and that was pretty much it. And now, keep in mind, we don't really go into it too much, but Earthquake was actually 
was pretty, I want to say pretty huge, but uh, it's not like I'm making a joke, but no, he was actually a really, really credible threat at the time. Yeah. Like if you saw him go for the title, you would believe he, he was walking out because he was that dangerous. And this is in the case where if you're thinking this was done to make a new star, it didn't as Hulk would then destroy earthquake at house shows across the country. Like, uh, I actually saw, I actually saw Hogan versus earthquake live. Like I went to like a house show and I saw this. The match was less than five minutes. It consisted <laughs> of Hogan throwing Earthquake out. And here's the weird thing about Hogan: uh, Hogan can cheat in front of the referee, and he never gets disqualified for it. Yeah, yeah, it's like saw this quite a few matches. He throws Earthquake out, punches Earthquake a few times. He goes outside. He grabs like a not a chair, but like a steel step ladder of some kind, cracks it across Earthquake multiple times so much that even from the nosebleed sections, I can see the marks on Earthquake's back. <sighs> Throws him back in the ring, body slams him, leg drop, one, two, three. And I was like, really? That was it? Like, <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even think they had enough time to stop Hogan's theme music. <laughs> it, was, it was that bad. Just beating Earthquake as Real American plays. Dun, dun. Crack, dun, 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 crack. <laughs> yeah. And sadly, this is this had actually become noticeable at this point. When if you feud with Hogan, and uh, you you afterward you were fantastic during the feud, but afterwards you just got backburnered. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. for an example, King Kong Bundy, who was like a mega monster during his feud with uh, Hulk Hogan. After WrestleMania two at WrestleMania three, he was in a midget match, for instance. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, that didn't happen, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Earthquake like pretty much became nothing at this point. Like at that Royal Rumble, he was like very unceremoniously eliminated pretty easily, despite being a monster to deal with at the previous Royal Rumble. So yeah, sadly for Earthquake, who's like was a pretty decent human being, from what I understand. <laughs> And then we cut into 91, which this is a lesser, a Royal Rumble 91, which is a lesser known story as Perfect was actually supposed to win that Royal Rumble. Uh, yep. Uh, but Hulk, Hulk, using his Hulk veto powers and fast talk <laughs> skills, talked Vince to giving him the win using the Gulf War as a reason that people wanted to see him win. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. And uh, this, by the way, was being uh, all part of the lead-up for WrestleMania 7. <laughs> it's like he's not the only American on the roster. <laughs> <laughs> Surely Hacksaw Jim Duggan is in the running. <laughs> uh, so we go to WrestleMania 7, where Slaughter was the champion, beating Warrior at Royal Rumble 91. Right. And with famous for his Iraqi turncoat <laughs> gimmick, in which uh, we were at war with the... with. Iraq and the Gulf War, and he said that we were going to lose as America had lost their edge. So he became an Iraqi sympathizer, which got him monster heat at me. Yeah, that's crazy. Indeed. Uh, this is uh, the beginning, I would argue, of Hogan starting to lose his drawing power just a little bit, mm -hmm. as WrestleMania 7 was originally supposed to be held in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, yeah. but WWE... F decided to move the show to the adjacent sports arena. Yeah. yeah. They would, WWE, or 
Yeah, WWE in like documentaries would claim this was because that slaughter was getting death threats and what have you. So this is a way to fool the guys who are trying to hurt him. <laughs> yeah, like they couldn't just go next door. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but in truth, it was because there was about 100,000 seats that they haven't filled right. in that arena. So, yeah, there you go. So, uh, but uh, anyway, Hogan wins for America and uh, wins his third title. We then go into, uh, oh, dear. We then go into SummerSlam 91, where it's actually a pretty interesting period one to talk about. As I lose my place in my notes here. Very good. Very good. I know, right? <laughs> and, uh there we go where the Hogan's match was a match made in hell in which uh, it was Hogan and the ultimate warrior versus the triangle triangle of terror of slaughter general Adnan and Colonel Mustafa who was actually the iron Sheik. <laughs> now what's interesting and this is this is where we go into like some real Hogan controlling making sure he's the top guy there was another very interesting feud that had going on at this exact time that had nothing to do with Hulk Hogan, as the Ultimate Warrior was actually in a feud with a newcomer by the name of The Undertaker. <laughs> the Undertaker at this time had locked Warrior in an airtight casket, nearly killing him <laughs> under the addition of superstars. Do you remember this? Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, Ultimate Warrior, by the way, did a fantastic job of selling this. Like, I was, like, in tears. <laughs> I love how so many wrestling angles are hinged on potentially murdering another human being. <laughs> You're not going to do this on PG era. No. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? They would feud throughout the summer. Despite not being pretty matches, it would be, like, Undertaker strangles Warrior, clotheslines by Warrior, Strangles to the warrior, you know, and so forth. The house shows were actually drawing big numbers as, you know, before the day, this is before like where most of WWE's profit came from like raw or TV or pay-per-views. House shows were still a big thing. You would build to house shows. You would make making people buy tickets to the house shows. And that was like a major part of WWE's money. So that was actually really big. So the fact that, Taker and Warrior were drawing the same numbers, if not more, than Hogan's house show numbers because they would do different shows together so WWF can have more house shows. It was pretty big. Now, gasoline was added to the, <laughs> this feud with the heel turn of Jake the Snake Roberts done in very legendary and fantastic fashion. Like, if you could see these promos with Jake teaching Warrior how to... Go on the dark side. It, it's just perfect, and it leads to it has a, an amazing twist ending too. Now, it made perfect sense for this feud to continue into SummerSlam, where you could have like, you know, you could have uh, Undertaker versus uh, Warrior with Jake in Undertaker's corner. Heck, if you really want to throw Hogan in there, you could have Hogan team up with Warrior to take on Jake and Undertaker. However. Hogan made uh, the request for Warrior to partner with him against Sergeant Slaughter, which is interesting. <laughs> Warrior said yes, because working with Hogan, as we said at the top of the show, means good money. However, because of that, the feud with, Ro with Taker and Roberts got no pay-per-view mention, which killed a lot of the momentum. 
And granted, Warrior getting fired on this show didn't really help either, but uh, still, it's got no mainstream attention. I don't, Taker and Roberts weren't even on the card. And if you look back on pay-per-view history, which is a lot of the way you keep track of the history, there was like nothing continuing this. So it was a real missed opportunity, as you could have made two huge heels revitalize Warrior's career, which once again, the Hogan effect, it it went down to nothing after this. But it's interesting that thanks to a request by Hulk Hogan, it didn't happen. Uh, Hogan and Warrior over for what it's worth. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Ric Flair. Ric Flair, in one of the most surreal moments of wrestling, came to WWF. Yes. Which was so weird. I can't stress that enough. Seeing the WCW Ric Flair in WWE. With the WCW title. Yeah, like he's got the big gold belt at Madison Square Garden. Everybody's like, uh, what? (laughs) Declaring himself the real world champion, he began challenging Hogan, who for whatever reason paid him no mind for the longest time, which was kind of weird considering Hogan's a face, but whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This continues up until Survivor Series 91, where Hogan faces his gravest challenge against The Undertaker. And uh, this <laughs> is uh, I get it. the great, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, people argue going into this match, small spoiler, that you can sort of tell the uh, what the outcome is going to be because Hogan doesn't exactly look entirely into the matchup when he comes out. Uh, but back and forth uh, spot with Hogan and Taker, though. Uh, this is when you start hearing Hogan get booed a little because when he gets hit with the tombstone and immediately. St- pops right up to Hulk up, people start booing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I start booing too because that was like the first time that Taker had hit Hogan with the uh, tombstone. So then he just knows, I know he knows all everyone, but it never makes it look good. But anyway, with the help of Ric Flair who came to the ring and slid a chair under Hogan's head as he got tombstoned, <laughs> and, uh, Taker wins his first title. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, Hogan would claim then that he, in his book, that uh, Taker messed up his neck from that tombstone. But if you look at the footage on slow motion, Hogan has like is like a foot away from the mat when his head, when that tombstone is dropped. So I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, like Taker's tombstone is like one of the safest moves in all of wrestling. Oh, yeah. He owns that move. <laughs> this is a, keep in mind, this is WWE where the pile driver is more or less forbidden. Yeah, except for Taker and Kane doing the tombstone. Mm-hmm. Because they're like the safest workers in history. Oh, yeah. And Kane, oh, Kane, by the way, is like so safe, he may as well not do it because you like, you could tell there's like three. <laughs> I know. It's like, it might as well be a shoulder buster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there, now, Hogan being the face uh, of the company, all, the rematch was not only made immediately but it was made but another pay-per-view was made for the match the following week as the rematch took place on Tuesday in Texas the only one that ever happened indeed indeed as uh, WWE was starting to experiment with doing a pay-per-view more regularly mm-hmm. uh, Hulk Hogan retains regains the championship by cheating <laughs> <laughs> As after blinding The Undertaker, he schoolboys him once again in the eyes of Jack Tunney, who made the rematch the first time. At this point, Jack Tunney said, hell with it. 
and announces simply whoever wins the Royal Rumble in the 1992 Royal Rumble w- this year would win the championship and it would be undisputed. And this, which made uh, the 92 Rumble, in my opinion, the best Rumble ever. It's a good one. Indeed. After much, much shenanigans, Ric Flair wins the 92 Royal Rumble and becomes the real <laughs> world champion official. And then goes on to cut one of the best promos ever. After. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So good. With a tear in my eye. <laughs> this is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> oh, I remember that one. Now, you'd think this sets up Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan perfectly. Man, you would think so. You would think it's such a no-brain match. Even before, even like even just immediately with Ric Flair coming in, it's like, oh, this has to happen, right? Oh, God, you. So we let's go to the road. Book it, WrestleMania eight, baby. Woo. Mm-hmm. So let's. Book, so we're on the road to WrestleMania eight. WWE was actually doing this tease where it had five top contenders for Ric Flair's title. Or Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Macho Man, Sid Justice, who Sid Vicious from WCW, who just debuted at a little while ago. He was actually the special guest ref at that uh, SummerSlam match. And The Undertaker. So Undertaker did not do well at all because he's heel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you can't have a heel versus heel match. They actually did 900 lines for each contender, which you could call to... <laughs> Try and make uh, Jack Tunney favor one of the guys. Oh, man. Like, the 80s and 90s were, were a hot time for, for phone polls to determine your favorite. <laughs> determine the winners of your favorite uh, geek mediums. Like, remember when they did that for Batman 2? Like, is is Robin going to live or die? Call one of these two numbers and you'll... It's like, what? <laughs> so, Hogan, as you can guess, was picked. Which... Sid Justice uh, sold fantastically as he's just like, and uh, when he was interviewed afterwards, he was quite visibly upset saying Tunney has always shown favoritism to Hogan and uh, he, which is very true. And (laughs) he's the man. Nope, not at all. (laughs) All right. But anyway, after that, you think Sid was healed, but no, on Saturday night's main event on February 8th of 92, they actually were in a team together to take on Taker and Ric Flair. And uh, it was it actually set up uh, another, the heel term quite well. As Mean Gene, they were like, he was interviewing both Sid and Hogan. He goes up to Sid and is like, oh, so I guess you guys are, it's nice to see you guys are on the same page. And seemingly points the mic at him to begin talking. Sid opens his mouth to talk. And then Mean Gene is like, anyway, Hulk Hogan, what are your thoughts? Oh, for the... <laughs> <laughs> And Sid just walks away in disgust. Oh, man. And... Mean Gene's so good. Oh, he is. He is. So, during the match, Sid gets sick of Hogan showboating. Hey, hey, that's like, <laughs> I feel like I've said that before. <laughs> and leaves him in the match, which, of course, Hogan still finds a way to win, because why ever have him job? So, apparently, Hogan got so angry at this that he surrendered his title match to get his hands on Sid at Mania. Which I believe is the story. The other possible story is Jack Tunney just decided to make Sid versus Hogan and give the shot to Savage. Which how is that fair to Hogan? I have to ask. Yeah, I don't know, man. That doesn't <laughs> make sense. Either way, it's a bad idea. Now, 
it's still not clear to this day why Vince decided not to do what would have been the biggest main event of all time by having Hulk versus Flair at WrestleMania, no less. Yeah. Yeah. Rumors say that Sid had a contract that said that he was promised to main event WrestleMania 8, but I thought contracts weren't a thing till the Monday Night Wars, <laughs> I put in parentheses. Others speculate that maybe the steroid trial had started and maybe Vince wasn't confident that certain people would be around, but in which case, why wouldn't you make the most money from them as possible yeah. before they leave? We may never know, as it's like still one of the biggest mysteries in wrestling. As even Hogan says in his book that him and Flair were shocked. They, why, like, why wouldn't you do this? <laughs> I think literally everybody was like, oh, what? <laughs> I bet you even Macho uh, Man was like, oh, what? <laughs> it's like, oh, you want, you want me to fight? What? I mean, I'll do it, but I mean, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> so WrestleMania 8 comes, and Hulk defeats Sid Justice. <laughs> Again, in the main event of Mania, even though it was not for the title, Sid actually became the first man to kick out of the leg drop inadvertently as Papa Shango was <laughs> late for a run-in. Essentially, what happened what was supposed to happen was Papa Shango, a new wrestler debuting, came in attacking Hogan with Sid, which would lead to the return of the Ultimate Warrior, who had left, like I said, been fired uh -huh. at that SummerSlam. But anyway, this would be the last appearance from Hogan for, a, for quite some time at the as the fam very famous steroid trials had kicked into gear and Hulk decided to take a hiatus till <laughs> the heat died down. Yeah. Which isn't suspicious and, at all, by the way. Oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> like, oh, no, I'll just, uh, I'll just hang out at home. It's okay. Yeah, but uh, essentially the trial was that alleges that a Dr. George... Sahorian, a doctor for the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission, had been selling steroids illegal to wrestlers in general, and Hulk Hogan in particular. Hulk actually appeared on an episode of the Arsenia Hall show to <laughs> deny the allegations. Of all places. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like one of the worst doctors. Mm -hmm. uh, the trials would continue, and then finally, on February 93... Hogan would return to help out his friend Brutus Beefcake, who had been targeted by the tag team champions at the time, Money Incorporated, which was IRS, Irwin R. Scheister, and the Million Dollar Man, <laughs> Ted DiBiase. Oh, man. Uh, now, Beefcake at this point had a tr pretty horrific parasailing accident, which uh, you know crushed a good chunk of his face, and it took uh, steel plates in his face to reconstruct them. And... Uh, which is pretty interesting as uh, they would do this thing with, like, remember uh, Lex Luger's forearm having the steel bar in Santa inserted in it? Imagine that, except with a face. Oh, man. <laughs> but for a while, Beefcake wore the mask because they didn't know if the screws would hold up. <laughs> You'd think it would just say, maybe just wait a while. Yeah, Rather than saying, these screws might fall out of your face that we've inserted metal plates into. <laughs> it's like... Like that, just just hang out at home for a little while. Yeah. So at this point, Hogan and Beefcake formed that tag team. <laughs> Terry and Ed Boulder were back, <laughs> <laughs> but now called the Mega Maniacs. With that, with uh, Beefcake and Hogan challenging Money Incorporated at WrestleMania Nine. Mm. WrestleMania. Nine. Everybody's been. Mm. <laughs> so the Mega Maniacs would go over by DQ. The, and in that match, as uh, 
I forget how they cheated, but essentially back and forth match. Hogan wins, and then they celebrate for like 10 minutes in the ring. I would love to say this was the end of Hogan's night. I really do. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, at this point, Hogan would cut an interview. I guess the Mega Maniacs is over because he's challenging for the world title again. It's like, can't you just wait a day? Wait a day, dog. Wait a day. Wait a day. One day. No, no, well, here's the thing. At this point, you're thinking like, okay, so in the future, next pay-per-view, he'll get, he'll go for the title. Okay, whatever. I mean, it's more of the same. Well, keep in mind, Hogan had been gone for a while, and Ho- and Vince had started pushing the new generation of wrestlers, mainly Bret the Hitman Hart, who was the world champion going into this. New guys like Yokozuna, Shawn Michaels was really coming into his own, and much, much more. So. He challenges for the title. You think we're going to see Hogan go for the title at some point. We get to the main event, Bret Hart versus Yokozuna, a match which lasts six minutes, <laughs> mainly thanks to Yoko getting blown up <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so thanks to shenanigans, Bret Hart is defeated and Yoko wins the belt. Now, earlier in that same promo where Hogan challenges for the belt, he made a big point to say how much him and Bret Hart are friends. Even the two have no history whatsoever on <laughs> right. camera as friends. So he comes out there to check on Bret Hart, who is blinded by salt, which led to his defeat. Oh. And at this point, Mr. Fuji proves to be the worst manager in the history <laughs> of professional wrestling. As Yokozuna, blown up, by the way, from just five minutes of wrestling... And he makes a challenge for Hogan to wrestle right now. Who is fresh? Hulk Hogan. So Hogan goes in there and then proceeds to defeat Yokozuna in 22 seconds. Boy. And Hogan has won the belt for a fifth time in a move that makes absolutely <laughs> no fence sense and oh, did man. no one any favors. I mean, if there's an upside to all of that, it's that it led to a pretty amazing double, double thing with Bret Hart the next year at WrestleMania. There's that. Mm. That was nice. That, that's true, but you know, even that is sort of stretching it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is. I was. <laughs> I was. Now, all of this was actually a plan to set up Bret Hart versus Hulk Hogan at 93, mm-hmm. where the plan was for Bret Hart to go over, and Hulk would pass the torch to Bret as you know. Once again, he was on his way out. That'd have been that was what a nice thing to do for Hulk. What a nice guy Hulk Hogan is to do that. Oh, yeah. Sadly, (laughs) one of the drawbacks of Hulk Hogan is he doesn't know how to pass any torches. (laughs) He kind of just drops them. Yeah, yeah. Or he does it in such a way where he's like, yeah, I I jobbed. I I let Macho Man have the title. But, yeah, but you treat him like art. But, yeah, still, I patched the torch. No, you didn't. (laughs) That's not patching the torch. (laughs) You kind of let him hold on to it as you were holding on to it as well. Indeed, so so the so that was the plan that you know at SummerSlam Brett would be made. However, and conveniently, after Hogan won the belt, Hogan decided to refuse, hmm. saying that Brett was way too small and he couldn't draw. Boy, uh, Brett by the Brett Hart by the way is my favorite wrestler, so I'm actually withholding a lot of animosity <laughs> right now as I read that. Very professional of you, there. Thank I'm you, welcome. but. Yeah, and uh, Bret Hart would confront would confront him about this after he heard about this, and Hogan just simply looked at him and said, "Yeah, you're not my league, man." <laughs> pretty much gave him the finger uh, and walked away from it. Uh, uh, so, in one night, Hogan not only 
helps nobody, but he, uh, <laughs> but the top face is made to look like a joke, and as well as the monster heel, both look inferior to Hogan, who, after winning the belt, never appears on Raw except for tape promos while he's doing Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> oh boy! And then finally, Hulk was. Uh, we'll get to what happened with the title there, but Hogan would go back to New Japan where he would uh, cha- go challenge the Great Muda to a dream match. Where during a promo, and this is actually a pretty famous promo, he came, he went there with the WWF title yeah. as he'd just beaten Yokozuna. He then, in an interview, in a press conference, proceeded to call the WWF title a toy and then called the IWGP the real title belt. It's a very weird thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. I mean, he's there, so you want to put it over. But at the same time, no, don't do that to the <laughs> title you're owning. That you, that you work so hard to keep from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would beat Great Muda in that dream match. Uh, he would then have a list of other matches, too, including the Hellraisers, mm-hmm. which were Kensuke Sasaki and the Road Warriors, with uh, as they took on Hogan, Muda, and Masahiro Chono. And his last match was on January 4th, 94, at, at an event called Battlefield, where he defeated Tatsumi Fujinami, which, if you don't remember, was the guy who tried to screw him when uh, <laughs> that deal fell through. Uh, so then we fast forward to King of the Ring. Hogan did not want a job to Brett, as I said, but he was fine to do it with Yokozuna with a gigantic amount of shenanigans attached <sighs> to it. Granted, Yoko... Granted, uh, let Silver lining. Ho- Yoko kicked out of the leg drop. That made him look really strong. <laughs> it does. Like, only Sid has done that. But, <laughs> but uh, during the match, uh, Hogan gets up and a photographer gets on the ring, who then proceeds to shoot a fireball at Hulk Hogan. Uh, Yokozuna then chops, uh, chops Hogan down, delivers the leg drop, covers him one, two, three, beats Hogan with his own move. <laughs> And that adds insult to injury and to, and uh, does the bonsai drop, and that's it for Hogan. Yep. Afterwards, uh, the steroid trial would end as uh, Hogan would finally give his side of it. He had received immunity from prosecution and, tets- and testified at the trial of Vince McMahon relating the shipments of steroids received by Dr. Zoharian by both parties. Under oath, Hogan admitted that he had used antibiotic steroids since 76 to gain size and weight, but Vince had neither sold him the drugs nor ordered him to take them. The evidence given by Hogan proved extremely costly to the government's case against McMahon, and thanks to this, Vince McMahon was found not guilty. And uh, this essentially is it for me, as uh, that's my half of it. So, buddy, I guess this is where I tag you out. You're tagging in. And thus concludes part one of our two-part Hulk Hogan extravaganza. Uh, Malcolm and I forgot to record a proper transition for this part, but um, thank you for listening so far. Uh, If you want to listen to part two, I highly recommend that you do. You made it this far, right? Uh, Just check us out on SlamUni.com. You'll be able to find part two there. You'll also be able to find it on iTunes, which I'm sure we'll have that figured out soon enough, Uh, as well as Stitcher, Pocket Cast, all your usual podcast feeds, whatever you like. Uh, We're also at Slam University on Twitter. And uh, see you real soon for part two.